And there we go, everyone. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And no, I've not got a cold or a snuffles or anything like that as well. If this is just what happens when you eat ridiculously spicy food before you start recording the podcast. I almost regret it, but uh, I need to clear my sinuses this week because it's been an amazing week of celebrating Manchester United's first trophy since I've started the podcast. So I needed to get it out of there. I needed to shamelessly talk about that and I needed to uh, talk about that with a couple of guys who I know will be happy but will most likely not be happy because they support opposite teams. Um, so there's no Salim this week so far as well. Maybe he'll join later from the podcast but we are rejoined by Suki, our favourite Tottenham Hotspur co-host. Suki, how are you doing this week, my friend? I'm all good, mate. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on happy vibes at the moment. It's been a good week. So yeah, I mean, working this week has just been nice and blessed because I've just been watching repeats of uh, our game against Chelsea on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're gonna make you're gonna make a D, you're gonna make a DVD soon about it. Oh, well. oh mate, I, I, I'm shameless. I'll do it just like Maguire was holding that trophy. So I'll do the same thing. The funniest <laughs> thing was the whole Man United thing was you're seeing people like Jack Butland hold the hold the Carabao um, <laughs> Cup, and has never even played uh, for Manchester United. So that's the funniest thing. Um, in that as well, which we'll get to later as well, which is great. And we are joined by a special guest this week. Um, Jay, you know what? I'll let you do the privilege of introducing yourself because I don't want to um, do yourself any disservice because you are <laughs> a, quite a pioneer in the YouTube game as well this, this time around. So everyone, this is Jay Tomlin. Oh, I wouldn't say a pioneer, my friend, but thank you. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'm Jay Tomlin. So I do the, the retro football kits, social media. So I run all the YouTubes, the TikToks, the, 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 all the social media accounts. I make content about football shirts. So yeah, all your favourite football shirts I cover. Uh, all the new ones, but we've got thousands of old ones that we sell ourselves. So we're a company that sells shirts and I'm kind of like the face and, and I do the the content side of things. So yeah, that's that's me. And that's what, that's what I do. Jay's the one that models it for everyone as well. So if there's any yeah. Spurs fans looking for the Holston um, type of Spurs shirts as well, Jay will have to wear it as well. Do you have Ooh. to or do you just choose to? Let me, let me get that straight. Do you choose I... Uh, but I actually have never modelled a Tottenham shirt because I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it. I don't think there's any amount of money that could pay me to do that. <laughs> what would be? What's up, what else is on your red flag list? So being a Chelsea fan, Jay, what else is on your red, yeah. red flag list for that? It's Tottenham, it's Arsenal, it's uh, United, Liverpool, uh, it's any Premier League team, to be fair. I can't do a Premier League team. M- maybe like... Maybe like... Oh God no! Um, <laughs> God no! I don't know. Yeah, no prem team. I think even a championship team pushing it. Really, I think. Would you do any, Wrexham? Like a maybe, lower league one? Maybe a Wrexham, yeah, because I don't really have any hatreds towards them. I think it'd just be for me. It'd just be embarrassing if like I was rocked up in like an Everton shirt. There's a photo of me out there of an Everton shirt. I'm like, I'd be fuming. But yeah, I could do Wrexham. I could do maybe like. Birmingham City because I'm from Birmingham and like I have a little tiny shred of love for them um, but other than that probably is, not so Birmingham City is your West Midlands team then Jay? Uh, yeah if I had to choose one I never really say I'm a fan of them um, mm. quite fortunately but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> if I had to pick one it'd definitely be Blues because I hate Aston Villa that's a, that's a f- I've I hate them so much. That's all good. <laughs> I mean, Salim, our, our co-host, is probably going to be listening to this bit thinking, I'll get, uh, again, I missed out on a, another anti-Villa fan, which is all good for him, but it would have been fun for us as well. Suki, who is your Midlands team as well? Is yours West WBA, Brom? WBA, mate. It's West Bromwich Albion. That's my local, born and raised, just literally from around the corner from the stadium. So That's funny so. that, because I'm, I'm literally around the corner from Villa, and that's why I hate them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Too much traffic. 
in that case, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be Walsall. Actually, I am Walsall to be fair as well. So I'd be like Walsall Football Club, um, <laughs> literally for being where I used to live. So yeah, Walsall Football Club. Um, but no, it's good to have you on, Jay. It's nice to hear um, from you as well. And we will get to your part of the podcast later on, where you're going to be sharing your top five kits from a certain league, which we won't spoil for our um, audience. So that's going to be a little mystery surprise at the end as well, which will be good fun. Suki, where we started? We started with Chelsea, we started with Tottenham, or we started with Manchester United? I'll let you cho- uh, choose. Do you know what? I'll give you, ben- I'll give you benefit of the doubt. Let's start with United because uh, you-, you guys have uh, finally got your trophy after six years. So I thought you would go on like a Tottenham run, hopefully, but it's- it seems like that's ended now. So yeah, the cabinet's been open, a little bit of dust, cleaned it up and you finally put a trophy in there. So I'll let you take it away, mate. <laughs> I mean, I have-, I have been starving for trophies for the last six years as well. I've been starving. I've been worrying about this trophy drought for a good number of years. It went, I, I was like going back in my mind this week of when the last time Man United won the trophy, what was I like as a, as a person? I mean, I wasn't married. I mean, I wasn't in the job that I'm at now. I was thinking, I was thinking of all of these little like Blade Runner 2049 references I was making as well. Um, when, when Blade Runner 2049 was out in 2017, when Man United last won a trophy. So I was literally just going through all of these and I was like, it's crazy to think how bad Man United have been for these last six years. And unfortunately it was just accepted. Um, by a lot of the media, the mainstream media as well. And it's the first time that we've been on the podcast where I can say Manchester United have won a trophy and I can be happy about it. Um, but I've been really happy with the team so far as well. I've been happy with especially the new signings that we've had who have just elevated the club to a different level so far as well. Not just the team, but the club around. You can see the feel-good factor around the club right now. It's been fantastic to see. Lisandro Martinez proving so many people wrong this time around. Casemiro proving so many people uh, wrong as well. And it's still seeing people, mostly Arsenal fans, going, yeah, Thomas Partey is still better. I'm like, how? How is Thomas Partey still better? I do not get that at all. But I've been really impressed with how Manchester United are still continuing to look for more trophy this season and how Ericsson Hag hasn't said, oh yeah, we're happy with this. We want to just um, stick with this. Tonight at the time of the recording, they're going to be playing FA Cup um, round of 16 game against West Ham United as well later on. So we'll see how that goes at the end of this recording as well. But um, Jay, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it as well. From a, I would, I was going to say title challenger, but neither of us have been title challengers for a year, couple of years now. From a top six rival, I should say, to put it more politely, how has it been looking from the outside in on Manchester United and their development under Eriksen Hag? You know what the worst thing is, as a Chelsea fan, is that I don't hate Manchester United. Like as a top six rival, as you put it, I think you know you're inherently supposed to hate the ones around you. And when growing up, I, I just disliked United because they they brought bad memories to me. You know what I mean? And like you've got those the, the horrible players that like like Keane and Rooney, you know, just being annoyed and, and Fergie and he's, you know, as much as he's a great manager, he was annoying, like you hated them. This United team and Ten Hag, I can't find many things I hate about them. Personally, I think Ten Hag's done a wonderful job and he's just the guy. You mentioned it already, like. The fact that he's already come out and said, like, right, on to the next one. That's Fergie's mentality. That's the mentality you need to have as a winner. He's already got that. And he kind of, you know, oozes that confidence. And then the team themselves, like, Martinez, the new lad. I'd kill for a player like him at Chelsea at the minute. Like, the bite that he has. I think, you know, Rashford, you can't hate Rashford. He feeds the children. Like, <laughs> like I don't, I'm never going to hate him. So like, he's, he's definitely helping out at WS1 as well. We're, yeah. we're <laughs> you know that for a fact. And then Exactly. Oh man. Um, so I just I, I just I want to hate United, but I can't. And I think you know this this trophy can now be the catalyst for you to go on. And Mourinho always said it, get the League Cup, 
get it under your way, get that trophy, get the winner mentality, and then go on. And that's what it looks like you've got. And it's kind of worrying at the same time. So, Key, anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I mean, Jay spawn with that. I mean, you can't really you can't really fault United. I think for, as, a, as a Spurs fan, we were linked to Ten Hag. But again, Levy wants those kind of charismatic kind of managers that are going to be able to handle the press. But looking at it, I think it's a mistake now. And I think you look at it, the football that you play, stylish, the way that you've got it integrated. I think the whole Ronaldo fiasco that happened has kind of helped where you've got, you brought in Wake Horse, you're playing in that kind of number 10 role. Rashford's obviously been an absolute fire. So I think uh, everything that he's done, he's been ticking the right boxes. And I think it's a bit scary now, especially now that he's going to have a full kind of summer transfer window, a proper pre-season. Um, I think United fans should be uh, quite excited for kind of next year as well. I mean, even now you're still in the FA Cup, so there could potentially be another cup on the bat. And if again, if Arsenal lose tonight, you might be in a title challenge again. So it's uh, yeah, scary times for for kind of uh, rival fans. But I think for, for you boys, I mean, you could be more than happy with, with what's going on, especially having that kind of League Cup under your belt. Yeah, it's just like you both said as well. Getting that League Cup was a big monkey off our back as well of not having won this trophy for ages and we always hear people say top, top four is a trophy but I've never been a big um, advocate for that as well because it never really is a trophy because you just get to a position where you could get knocked out in the round of 16 or the group stages and Man United fans have seen it happen recently as well getting knocked out to that uh, PSG and RB Leipzig group as well after getting gassed over finishing third in the group stage but in, in the league sorry as well but it was just really sad to see where do you think Eriksen Hag will actually progress himself next in this side I'm looking at this squad. I'm looking at this team. The starting 11 is looking pretty good, but from objective point of views, from opposition point of views, where would you be worried to see if Eric Ten Hag was to get, let's say, for example, a number nine? Would he go for someone like Harry Kane? So we've spoken about this before. Would he look to go for another centre midfielder, another proper world-class centre midfielder to partner Casemiro in there? Where do you kind of think that would work for um, Eric Ten Hag, Suki? Uh, that's a good question Hams I think yeah number nine I think having a striker and out and out striker is going to be top priority so you look at the likes of like Osman and Kane but then again it's it's uh, for himself it's it's kind of like a preference choice right so at the moment you've got like a target man so I think he'll probably look for kind of a, a similar kind of Drogba-esque kind of style kind of player that can obviously run between the lines mm-hmm. down the channels and obviously kind of bully those defenders and obviously get the kind of players into play because when you look at the likes of Anthony He's going to need someone that he can obviously feed the ball into, can hold it up, make a run in behind, do some, again, fidget spinning kind of skills. As, and you, then, do. Uh, as you do. And then get an assist or a goal. So I think kind of top priority is a striker. I think fullbacks probably be the next one because I think you've got decent cover there with obviously kind of right back with Bissaka and Delight, some healthy competition. But then you've got short left back. I think you probably just need a, I mean, Velasquez is there to be fair. So I think you're quite clever there, kind of both positions. Um, but yeah, for probably another kind of centre midfield. I know Ericsson's obviously injured with his ankle injury and then if he brought in Sabitzer. So who knows, you might make that permanent uh, signing in the summer or again, you might look for an, another alternative. But I think um, just looking at the team, I think probably having a striker, maybe another winger that can come in as this kind of development player. And then again, having like a top kind of centre midfielder in between, with Casemiro to partner, partner with. So yeah, I think kind of, yeah, strike is kind of top priority and then everything else kind of falling out of that. But I think with United, I think they'll probably be astute with the kind of transfer window coming up. They'll probably just sign the two, three players that they need and that's it. I think he'll be content with what he's got and obviously bringing more of the youth players, which he's done before with Ajax, right? So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think even that kind of proves that it's going to be a scary United next season where he might just focus on a bit more on depth and, yeah, kind of really go deep, knee deep in every competition. Hopefully it'll be scary hours at at Manchester United next season as well. And Jay, I wanted to ask you one final question as well before we move on to Chelsea and Tottenham as well. From Marcus Rashford's point of view as well, you did say obviously if he's a kid and everything that he's done so far as well. 
I wanted to kind of ask you, from your points of view, where do you see Marcus Rashford's best position? Because we've had this debate all season long, I would say, so if you haven't, where do you think it's going to be? Left wing, yeah. right wing, striker? Um, but when you're facing off against Marcus Rashford from your Chelsea team, for example, where do you think is most dangerous? As that number nine breaking free or as that um, left winger um, coming up against you? I think it has to be left wing, doesn't it? I think it has to be. I think, you know, this season, um, he's played there the most. He played there in the final. Um, and, you know, I think when you're playing in a final, you play every your best team and in their favourite position. So it, I think Ten Hag also thinks he's the left winger. I think, um, you know, you already mentioned that you want to bring another striker in because Veghorst ain't it. Um, but Rashford will complement anyone as a striker. I, but I think when he's been asked to play as a striker, he's never fully lives up to the potential that we all know he had. And now he is. You can't change that. So I think it has to be on the left wing for me. Yeah, just keep the consistency going. And what San Hag has done a lot this season is when he's brought on other wingers like Garnacho and Elanga and Sancho, for example, he'd leave, he'd leave Rashford as the number nine and then just put them on as a winger as well. So he could still play in these positions, but it's just yeah. another good thought process to have as well that he can play in different positions. But I, I kind of agree. Left wing is definitely his position for the long-term future as well for him to be going forward. If he does need to be as a striker, he can play there. We've seen players like that in the past as well. And sometimes it's worked to their advantage. Sometimes it hasn't. Um, but realistically, I, I thought it'd be quite good to see how Marcus Rashford would do at left wing for the rest of the season. But we do have a injury prone Anthony Marshall as our number nine, so it has to be Woot Weghorst throughout as well, uh, which is good fun. What's not good fun is watching Chelsea Football Club at this moment in time. <laughs> Jay, what's happening, man? All these players that you've got in, we've we've been actually talking about how we're excited to see some of these players. Jao Felix, we're looking at. Uh, Mudrik as well Enzo Fernandez for me personally I enjoyed him at Benfica and at the World Cup so how is it feeling right now as a Chelsea fan for you Jay? Oh mate it's the worst you know it's crazy like I haven't enjoyed a game of football this year I haven't enjoyed a game of football at the back end of last year um, the World Cup was kind of annoying and before that we were ropey <laughs> it's been a long time since I've enjoyed football and I love football a lot it's annoying um, this there's so much going on that it's hard to like pinpoint um, a problem. And this is what annoys me with Chelsea fans that they will say it's Potter's fault. I think that's just so, so like 2D and, and not right. It's not just Potter's fault. Don't get me wrong. He hasn't, he hasn't lived up to what he needs to do as Chelsea manager. That That's true. Like he needs to be better, but he's not the only problem. And, and I don't think he's the biggest problem. Is that how they saw Thomas Tuchel back in September as well? had a couple of uh, ropey games as well, lost in the Champions League and then they just got rid of him. I remember a lot of fans turned on him straight away when he got sacked, but a lot of other fans were like, you know what, it's just a bad start to the season. A lot of teams have it, but they mm. move forward as well. And that's when I was kind of like, you're kind of down, you kind of downgraded from Tuchel to Graham Potter. With no disrespect to Graham Potter, but mm. what he's done in for Bryson as well and where else he's done it in the game. But can you see a way back under Graham Potter um, under Ch at Chelsea, Jay? I can. I actually can. I think I'm one of one of one maybe because <laughs> uh, I think a lot of Chelsea fans have made their mind up on him I don't think it's his fault entirely at the moment I think it's Bowley and Clear Lake like I said this in my in my preview for the Leeds game today but the, what they did was they came in they bought a bunch of players that they didn't really know anything about then they sacked Tuchel then they got Graham Potter in then they got directors in then they bought loads of children and now they're like deal with it part it's really stupid it's really really it's not football it's not great footballing business it should have been 
get a director in first. That's the first thing because then they can buy players. And then once they've bought players, we go, okay, it's too short of the man or is he not the man? Okay, let's sack him now in this summer or next summer. We don't like, we give him a year and then you get the young kids in and then you get Potter in. That's for me how like it should have went if this was the plan. But instead, they kind of just did everything as instantly as they could. And now it's a mess. And now it's on Potter's shoulders to fix. So for me, I empathise with the guy because that's almost an impossible job. Um, and for me, the fans have turned on him really quickly. And I do understand it because the, the football's on the pitch has been dreadful. It's been bad. Don't like We'll talk about Tottenham, but I don't think Tottenham are that great in, against us. But they were clinical. And that's all they needed to be. Um, so, like, for me, I have sympathy for Potter. I do think he can get it right. Because, like you said, Enzo Fernandez, what a player he is. Joe Phoenix, if we could keep a hold of him, beautiful player. Mudrick's got some potential. Madawake was great. But we've already got young players like Mason Mount and Reece James that have loads of potential still left to, to find. It's an exciting thing. It just needs to start working. Uh, and it kind of needs to start working soon. And with games that like every three days as well for, for Chelsea at the moment, with the league and with the Champions League as well, there's not really much time to actually bed that in, bed in that style of play that Graham Potter wants to have as well. And uh-huh. it's just one of those situations where Graham Potter is basically working with with one arm time behind his back as well, feeling like a puppet in this kind of Chelsea regime from what I've seen as well. You've seen how he's actually dominated and orchestrated Brighton and Hove Albion to such an extent where he's probably got them almost to a their breaking point and then Roberto Zerbi came in and has just continued working that great work which is fantastic obviously there's been rumours this week but only, only rumours that we won't talk on that much that Roberto Zerbi could potentially take on Graham Potter's job at Chelsea but I don't yeah. see anything about that it could just be Twitter rumours in the Twitter sphere as well yeah. uh, which ain't great but if you did have to replace Graham Potter with a manager Jake there's not much out there in terms of high quality calibre talent you're looking at someone who would be far outrageous in Luis Enrique who I think would be a very good shout. You're looking at people like Zidane, you're looking at someone like Graham Potter. You may have to go for someone like Ruben Almiron, but we've seen a good number of times, unless they're a proven track record winner at Chelsea, they don't tend to last very long. We looked at someone like Maurizio Sarri, who I thought played attractive football to an extent. I thought that that version of Eden Hazard under Sarri is pretty good, but he didn't. Re- they didn't really buy into him um, at Chelsea and he was only there for the season as well. I still remember that Kepa Riza Balaga incident where he refused <laughs> yeah. to come off the pitch as well. <laughs> what is it with Chelsea and their managers? Is there is there one manager that you think, you know what, they can be a replacement if Graham Potter gets that? Because for all we know, it could be Mourinho part three coming up oh, as well. Oh, that's just a weird dream that fat Chelsea fans are. So we've got short-term memory last year. We not remember how every time it ended. <laughs> respect, man, respect. It'll be like I, that. I, love the, I love the guy. Yeah, I'd love the guy. and I'd love him to bring that aura to Chelsea but the only thing he's got left is the aura I think we don't need that at the minute so I don't think Mourinho is the guy I think it's so difficult Zidane's not the guy doesn't want to come mm. hasn't bothered learning English don't blame him doesn't need to he wants PSG or France um, Enrique I understand why that's attractive but I think he fails in it within a year I really do um, I think Chelsea fans are just so used to like if something's going wrong, just sack the manager and we'll win some. That's like, of course, that, that's the way they're trained to think. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, this new regime, they've kind of stuck their neck out and gone, all right, Potter's our guy. I don't think they'll sack him. I really don't. And it. Um, so for me, I don't know if there's many replacements as well. Is why I'm kind of doubling down on Potter because I really can't think of anyone good enough. Uh, the only person I can think of that's good enough who's not in a job is 
uh, Thomas Tuchel, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is uh, a little bit tricky to get him back. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say that, to be honest. You wouldn't say Poch? I don't think he takes us because... You said no anyway. Uh, yeah, no. I don't think yeah. he takes us. He He's the kind of guy, like he wouldn't manage Barcelona because he managed Espanyol in it. Mm, like, yeah. He will never touch Chelsea because of Tottenham. And I, I do respect him for those kind of morals. But um, but yeah, so I don't like that. There's no point daydreaming about it because he just wouldn't. Speaking of Poch, okay, I want to talk to you about Spurs. Another yeah. game where I told you when Conte is not on the bench, you're actually playing decent football and you're actually getting results and grinding out results. Conte is a curse for being on that touchline. When he's not there, you're actually playing good football. What happened on the weekend beating Chelsea at home? That's very odd. Oh, it was all, mate, it was, it was all Stellini, man. Do you know what I mean? He's the, <laughs> the guy. He's, he's, his record's unbelievable. I, I can't believe that he, uh, Conte's been nominated for manager of the month as well. So We'll take Stellini him as your new manager. We'll take your assistant. You, you know what? I wouldn't mind you, bro. I wouldn't mind you. It seems, it seems like... Um, I was watching a video the other day and it's like, with Conte, especially when the manager's around, you, you're very serious. It's not relaxed, the environment. You're always kind of like... You, you're constantly watching your back, right? But I mean, with Stellini, it seems like they've, they've had a bit more freedom towards it, towards it. So like usually when you watch our kind of football, it's kind of like sit back, defend. And again, as, uh, the reason for that is because again, look at our resources in terms of players. We have to do that because again, they are shit. So we, <laughs> need to, we need to play that way. So watching them against like Chelsea, we had a bit more freedom in terms of actually trying to make something happen at the top end of the pitch. And I think having Stellini there, that's kind of relieved that pressure where they weren't really kind of, they are focused, but at the same time, it was more kind of, there was more of a relaxed environment. And I think you can see that in the games that we played, especially against West Ham with the 2-0 against Chelsea. Um, probably Leicester was a bad example, but um, yeah, you can see it with City as well with the 1-0. They kind of stuck to the kind of game plan Got on the break, got got a couple of goals, and kind of kind of defended that for the clean sheet. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, again, just talk about like the Pochettino one as well. I think he's kind of. I think it's set that he is coming back in summer, and I think that it's no been way. Agreed. I think it has. It oh. seems it seems very. What's the word? Where you're trying to like it's it's quite hidden, and it just seems like he's going to end up coming to us in the summer. And I think it's it looks like a done deal from the looks of it. Sounds um, miscellaneous. Again, yeah, it's a. I mean, I'm not really a fan to bring him back, to be fair, after what happened. And especially with the kind of, after the Champions League final antics that he never bothered turning up to training or for pre-season. So I think with that, he was already a broken man. You could see that at PSG, he was a broken man. Uh, and again, with the Chelsea job, there was an opportunity. I think he should have taken it, to be fair, um, which was, a, was quite surprising. I know, I know he's got kind of loyalty and ties, but I think for Levy, he's kind of like the perfect kind of manager to have, right? Bring him in, a couple of young players, build up a squad and then just don't don't back him, right? When when things are getting towards the tail end of the business of getting towards trophies and stuff like that and finals and semis. So, uh, just I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it <laughs> to the summer because I know, I think Conte's kind of set that he's going to leave and I think no fault to his own. Obviously, he's had he's had three deaths in kind of close friends and family and then obviously he's, he's had the kind of surgery. So, I think he's kind of taken that long-winded break. But I think that I think he's kind of mentally checked out a bit. So um, we are probably looking for a new manager in the summer. So and I reckon it will be the the return of Poch, which has an undivided opinion with the fan base at the moment, where fifty percent are like, "Yep, yeah, we're, we're happy to have him back." Where some are like, "No, we don't want him because he's a broken man, and it will just be the same heartache again." So um, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, I'm still undecided, but I'm more leaning towards not having him back. I'd rather have another manager like again, like Deserby from Brighton. I want a manager that can actually start playing actual proper football where you're watching it, you're possession based, you're actually attacking. There's the kind of some impotences of what you're doing because at the moment we're just like sitting back and defending for our lives. And that's again the case of having the likes of Ben Davis, Eric Dyer, who have not moved on since Jose Mourinho days and Poch. So 
it's uh, yeah, it's very bleak. But I mean, the game against Chelsea, I mean, obviously for us, fantastic performance. We got we got the three points, and again, we beat Chelsea finally after so many after so many attempts, and especially at home. Uh, but I mean, it's uh, I mean for Chelsea, it looks very it looks really bleak. I mean, watching that football, it was very painful. You had Sterling thinking that he was Ronaldo taking on three players at one time and then trying to score, and then every time, I mean, in terms of like the playing style, they were passing the ball nicely, and Jao Felix looks like he had kind of moments of brilliance, but. When you look at it, there's not a striker inside that kind of six-yard box. There's no one there. So it was kind of like you're passing the ball to the wingers and it's coming back to the midfielders. So it was just constantly just passing sideways, uh, which, I, I mean, I can I can understand the frustration of Chelsea fans. It's just like you're just watching football. That's It looks very kind of disorganised. It's messy and there's just no tactic in towards what, what they're trying to do. Um, so, again, I mean, like I say, with like Jay says, you, you've got to give part of time, right? Because you've just brought in a whole kind of new squad of players. You need time to gel. And I think what they're going to do is kind of follow the Arteta model with Arsenal, where they give him the time and kind of, um, again, yeah, that timing of space for for him to implement his kind of playing style, his tactics. Because, um, again, when you bring in these new players, especially like Enzo, 120 million, you're not expecting him to kind of hit the ground running. The Prem's a different gravy, right, in terms of the league. So it is difficult itself. So you need time to kind of let these players kind of embed, get a bit of a system, kind of build that relationship. Um, so, again, if I was if I was looking at Chelsea fans, I'd just be patient. Uh, and then see till next season, midway through. If it's not working, then you can obviously cut your ties, and then hopefully you can bring a Tuchel back, which I think he's been rumored to go back to the PSG because I think they they're realizing the mistake of getting him in the in the beginning. So <laughs> it'll yeah. be an interesting one of who they get in next. There's that age-old saying of never go back to your ex because you never know what's going to be broken inside you. But clearly, football don't care about that saying as well. Got Tuchel <laughs> going back to PSG. Got Poch going back to Spurs. Uh, maybe yeah. even uh, Conte or Mourinho potentially going back to Chelsea. It could happen. It could all happen as well, uh, which is crazy. But just don't do that in real life because it's a bad thing. Not from experience that I know. I'm just saying, just don't do it. Hans knows, um, man. Bloody hell. <laughs> Marcus Rashford's celebration for a reason. Keep your mind right. Keep your mind right. Um, but no, Jay, just to finish off on Chelsea, just do, just for one bit of positivity from yourself as well, we like being positive on this podcast. Is there one of your new signings that you're really looking forward to more than anyone? Because for me, I'm really impressed with your new centre-back, Benoit Badish, uh, Badiashil. I think he's a fantastic left-footed centre-back. We've said recently as well how a lot of left-footed centre-backs are on vogue at the moment, playing out from the back. Um, Sven Botman, we've talked about Indica Suki, right? A couple of weeks yep. ago for Frankfurt. Um, but anyone from your um, from your point of view, Jay, you think you know what stands out for me as a Chelsea fan from the new signings? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with Bashile. Like he's he's mint. Like, I, he was unexpected. Like because I I'm I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say, oh yeah, I knew who he was. Like I was like, who who's this guy? Like <laughs> massive geezer, so tall. I was like, yeah, fair enough, he'll be good. But then he was like confident, composed on his feet. You know, him and Thiago Silva looks great together. So I do agree with you on him. I think, but if if I go for another pick, um, that's not maybe like an obvious one. Excuse me. Um, maybe Madawake, because I think he's excited and he's young and he's from London. So like, I think he's got a little bit about him that maybe can bring like kind of an extra little bit of an edge. And what I've seen so far, like he is very much a forward thinking winger and it's like quite exciting to watch him play so I think I'm excited to see him What does uh, Maduake bring to the team that no other winger kind of does Jay? Because again you said it was forward thinking but um, would he be someone that you're looking at starting over Sterling or over Pulisic or is he someone that you think you know what should be like an impact sub like Garnacho for us is better as an impact sub so far than as a starter uh, for Man United I think um, he's definitely like 
definitely impact for now. I think Sterling, as much as he is quite frustrating to watch, he's obviously better and has more experience. So he has to start. But I think with Malawaki, because again, it's the same with all the new players, I guess, but because he's so young, it's exciting to see what can come, I think. So I think it's great for now to him to jump on, get his minutes, maybe play in the Cups, and then like, you know, build up his experience as a Chelsea player, being that impact sub, and then maybe then going forward and taking on that role. I think I, we all love it when a young player grows into a role. I think, you know, it's all good and proper, like buying talent that's ready made, but it's always exciting when you have those young players. Like we have had that for the past couple of years, Reese James. I was just so excited for him to like take that and make it his role. I, I really do like Reese James. I really, oh, really like him. such a boy. He's like one of the best right backs. He's got a great mentality. Don't like him, Suki. No. No, no, there's not so much I like him. He's a, he's a quality player, but I think he's got a bit of a screw loose sometimes. That's why I like him. That's, that's why I, like I love him, man. He's got a bit of character to him. He's got that he's mentality. Got careful, though. Yeah, because it sometimes, especially as a right back, if you make that one bad decision, especially in that area where you are, you might get a red card, right? So It's true, but you know what? He never It never seems to let him down. Like He has that spite in him and he will have that bit of bite, but I think he's yeah. he's a bit, he can control it to a point where it never crosses a line. Yeah. Um, which is sick. Um, and now it, for, for me, that's his position to lose right back. Um, and it'll be interesting. You're just a different side without him, to be fair. Oh, Honestly. Man, we're, we're shocking without him. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> so like for Madueke, it'd be interesting to see if he can grow into that and make that his position. And that's what it does excite me. Whereas like some of the other players like Enzo, he's now our midfielder. Like You are number five. Stay there. Whereas <laughs> I'm excited to see what he can do. Nah, that's good to hear. Nicely done there, Jay. <laughs> appreciate that as well. Like I said, we have to leave it positive. Can't all be doom and gloom um, for Chelsea right now as well, especially because you haven't seen them win that much this year as well. So uh, one goal in February, lads. One. Is that the Crystal Palace game? Yeah. Oh, poor, poor you. Poor you. It's been a while. It's, it's been a while. Mad. It's a madness. So, can you talk to us about your trip to Barcelona? Um, it obviously led to our five star segment of the week, but how was your trip to Barcelona? How was your weekend break? Oh, mate. Well, it was a birthday, birthday weekend, meeting up with the, the Call of Duty group that I've been playing card during the pandemic. So, it's my, my, myself, my mate, and then my brother Laura, his mate. So, my brother Laura's mate, he's a director of W, uh, one of the leading hotels in Barcelona. So, it's kind of like the spot. Um, so, it's like this big, massive glass building on the middle of like an off the side of the island. So, um, That's midnight. yeah, so we, yeah, we went to go meet him um, and then we went out to a few kind of uh, gaffs. But I mean, he took us to some crazy VIP exclusive like places. So, I've been to Barcelona, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking cool. wicked, isn't it? And I only yeah. learned one thing when I was there uh, in Spanish, and it was Dos Cervezas, por favor. Which is two beers, please. <laughs> ah, okay. So I, I, I got I got done over to be fair because it's a bit weird because when I'm there they 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 speak Spanish to me because I don't know what it is. That, I mean, kind of being brown, it's right? the ethnicity. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I the, the, the girl, the waitress, she, yeah, <laughs> she goes to me. She goes, "You got curly hair." She goes, "Are you Colombian or something?" I was like, "No." I was like, "That was a weird." Get up from. I was like, "I'm English." Look, you're a, you're a Latin man now. That's have what you, I'm saying. Have, have you heard of Birmingham? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, man, it's like everywhere. Everywhere I've been, like Mallorca, Barca, they've always said the same thing, right? So, uh, yeah, it was honestly it was a cracking time. We went to uh, the camp new as well, uh, which I'll get onto. Where honestly, we 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 were gonna go. Then we were going to go, and then we got offered two tickets because, again, the guy, our mate, he's obviously got some connections out there. Uh, so one of the agents of one of the players was like, "Oh, we've got two tickets for English fans." But then the one of the agents of the players, you know, as you do. Oh yeah, yeah. he's uh, which player he's, he's was he? Wouldn't tell us. He won't tell Jules us. Yeah, Kunde, yeah. Jules Kunde. <laughs> 
You'd be surprised because uh, the, the the funny thing was they've got a bar called Eclipse in the in the hotel, which is like mm. the go-to spot for these football players, but it's been refurbed. So uh, if he wasn't referred, he would have been there, probably chatting to some of the players there. So uh, Damn it. yeah, we kind of missed out on that one. But uh, I mean, I mean, he keeps it all top secret, doesn't he? But um, yeah, we got invited. Um, apparently, the the agent spoke to I think it's Joanne Laporte, mm. uh, and then he got us tickets. So I remember walking up to uh, Camp Nou uh, and imagine this one, Jay, walking straight through. Don't go into the queue. Guy calls us over, go through a table. Doesn't even give us a VIP pass. He goes just walk straight through. And that was it. We didn't have nothing on us. Just let us go through. People looking at us like, who the, who the hell are these guys? It was just like, so it's just honestly such a weird kind of an experience. Um, uh, so yeah, so we've got to see the the actual first team dressing room. So normally to the public, they show the, the standard Wait. dressing room, the away one. So we got to see that. Uh, we had like kind of like really good views around around stadium. But um, when I mean Old Trafford needs refurbing, the camp knew badly, badly needs refurbing. It was so bad. Like I think the game just before, because we went the day after, they still had rubbish all at the bottom of the stadium that hadn't been picked up, like Coke bottles. Oh, food no. And stuff. Yeah, it's just, mate, it's so, it's so in the mud, <laughs> that stadium. But um, <laughs> I remember walking through the kind of trophy uh, section and then uh, obviously my, my brother was an Arsenal fan so uh, and my mate, Man United fan, they were obviously grilling the shit out of me to say, I bet you've never seen this before, in it? So <laughs> it was like, great, but I got my You got your one league cup in 2008. You got your that's one so league good, cup. Man. That's Daniel Levy's fault. But um, I got one good photo of my uh, my brother-in-law. He's an Arsenal fan next to the 2006 Paris final. When they lost Ooh, Arsenal. Oh, I got a nice little photo of him. So I've snipped, snipped, snipped that one. So uh, yeah, I can use that as a meme going forward. But yeah, mate, uh, Barca, cracking time. Good laugh. Um, got absolutely hammered every day and then uh, eventually came back on the Monday uh, I've got this uh, super cold that's been going around so it's not been ideal but it is it is what it is if I have to take that I'll have to take it but yeah Do you know what's super that's cold good. as well Suki? Say again? Do you know what's super cold as well? What's super cold? This week's five aside theme Hey <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's such a poor joke it's a poor line I was thinking I was like where's he going with this? <laughs> I was like, I'll let you tell your story on Barcelona, but I needed a segue into our five side of the week. Uh, which yeah. Is good fun. But yeah, obviously... I don't it's, on. <laughs> nah, it's a good story. It's the first time I've heard it, so it's, it's good as well um, to hear as well. And Jay, we'll hear your story in the San Siro at the end as well. Uh, but to segue into um, our five side of the week, where I have been getting battered on social media by everyone, because everyone <laughs> clearly doesn't like the teams that I pick for my five sides. Um, it's the La Liga five side of the week. So Jay, I'll explain the rules. Um, you basically have five players to choose from you'll start with your favorite player as your wild card you then go goalkeeper defender midfielder attacker however you want which is fine um two rules you can only pick one player per club so it is like a football draft basically and you can't pick the same player as someone else who has already picked them um straight up as well which is good fun um Suki, you went to spain so i'm gonna let you go first um for your wild card pick who are you choosing from anyone in spain to lead your team and for everyone listening as well Stop picking Suki as the winner, for goodness sake. I never win these things, so I need to yes. I need to win. I think I'll put Jay versus Suki if you two have the best teams out. So this will be uh, this will be good fun. Well, Suki, mate, I'm gonna struggle on this one, I'll be honest, man, because like when you when you go deep into like goalkeepers and defenders, oh it's horrific. Yeah. And remember, it's not just Real Madrid and Barcelona as well. So that's why I'm trying to make it an even playing field as well. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a difficult one, mate. Um I'd say for wildcard, and I picked him last time, I'm going to go uh, Vinicius Jr. from Real Madrid. Got to get him in quick and early. I mean, Vinny Jr., we, we've spoken a lot about him on this podcast this season as well, which has been great. So I'll hand over to Jay, actually. Jay, 
Look, thoughts on Vinny Junior. Do you reckon he's going to be a top five superstar for the next 10 years um, in Spanish football, in European football, in world football? It's shaping that way, isn't it? I've, I kind of didn't think it was going to be maybe a year or two ago, but the past couple of seasons, he smashed that, hasn't he? Like he has really come into his own and and um, not not like not a young player of the year anymore, but like a player of the year. So yeah, no, I definitely think there's um, he can keep going and, and keep becoming a better player. I think he's starting to make his name into the conversation of Mbappe of Haaland now so um, I think he's not quite there yet but he's on his way up there Have you had a favourite moment from Vinny Jr that you've seen so far as well obviously you saw him face off against Reese James and Chelsea last season as well in the Champions League so obviously you mentioned about Reese James having um, that kind of limit to his anger to his aggression as well he kind of had that against Vinny Jr not just at Stamford Bridge but especially at the Bernabeu when you're trying to fight back to keep, um, reclaim that lead in, in, the, in the tie as well Jay yeah, no, I mean, that was great. I think, you know what, Vinny Jr. came out after and said, like, I rate Reese James. Then he came out and they were kind of like, they had a weird respect for each other because of how much, like, they went at it. But, I mean, if we're going to talk about a recent memory, like, them battering Liverpool was fun and him getting two goals <laughs> that night. So, I'll pick, I'll pick that one. <laughs> that was a good one as well. What, what's your thoughts on the Real Madrid kit as well? Out of 10, the new one, the home one. I love it. I really love it. Um, you know, we we can talk about kits a little bit later, but I love purple on a Real Madrid kit. So having them have purple is sick. I love a polo color on a kit. Uh, so I like that. And it's, and it's everything a Real Madrid kit needs to be. It's clean. It's simple. So I'm going to give it a nine. It's quite I, high for me. I like the font on the Champions League one as well. It looks yeah. very 2002 like as well, which I quite like when they yeah that's um, sick. when they won it as well back in 2002. I think. Uh, Jay, go ahead, my friend. Where are you going for your wild card pick? So anyone but Vinny Junior, whatever, wherever you want in La Liga, where are you going for? Um, so I was surprised. So like Vinny Junior, great, yeah, like wicked player. But I'm surprised you didn't go for Benzema. That has to be. Has You've to be the both guy. stolen my picks. Has to be the guy. <laughs> like he is. Yeah. I was hoping you'd be a bit more cliche and go for not cliche, be a bit more hipster. I go for someone like Fede Valverde or something like nah, that, or that's Gabby. Not me. That's, that's not good. me, man. That's not me. Benzema, like that guy, won in the Champions League last year. He upset me last year. <laughs> he's going to do it again this year probably. that iconic hat-trick at the Stamford Bridge game as well that was iconic Mate, I love every that. every goal looked impossible but made it look so effortless he's he's the guy for me so I had to get him in there early how much does a Benzema kit sell for you? Uh, you know I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've had any come through to be honest yeah yeah because it's still it, current yeah well that's the he's been in Ronaldo's shadow a little bit hasn't he? Yeah, um, the Real Madrid printing shop weren't doing Benzema shirts back in the day. It's just yeah, Ronaldo, yeah. Bale, and that's it. Fans <laughs> just wanted Ronaldo on, so probably don't really. We haven't really sold any. To be fair, I don't think we've got any. No, that's all good. So, okay, how about Benzema for you as well? We've spoken about him this season quite a bit as well. Obviously, missing the World Cup, doing very well in the Champions League. Um, recently, being what was it? He didn't win the Forward of the Year in the FIFA Pro Awards. It was yeah. Messi, wasn't it? What's Absolute the thoughts robbery. on that? Absolute robbery that. I mean, these awards are getting ridiculous now in terms of the votes because I think it's the captains that vote, don't they? Per, per captains team. and journalists, I think. Have journalists. A, have a I mean, yeah. it's just like sometimes it's kind of like favoritism, right? So if, again, if they're like a French national, they're going to vote Mbappe. If they're Argentinian, they're going to obviously go for. So I mean, it's it's such a it's such a shit voting system. Mm. Uh, but I mean, yeah, he got absolutely robbed on that one. I mean, he, I think he even put a post up, didn't he, Jay, on his Instagram on his story with all the accolades he's had for the, the past year. And it's just like, how the yeah. hell do you get? I get, I get it. Like Messi's won the World Cup, but this guy's single-handedly just driven his club with more games being played, more competition that he's played against. 
Do you know what I mean? And it's just like everyone's on this messy bandwagon. But I mean, yeah, Benzema, top quality. I mean, I, I mean Hans, we talked about it, right? When he was 16 at Lyon, absolutely yeah. terrorised Rio Ferdinand and Vidic that, that game in the Champions League. And you could see the talent from there, really. I mean, he was only, what, 16 and the size of him. It was tall, quick, rapid, proper, like an out-and-out striker, what you think for a number nine. And again, like you say, like Jay said, he's been in Ronaldo's shadow, but I knew once Ronaldo goes, he'll be the focal point and he's been absolutely killing it. So, yeah, props to him. Question for both of you. You mentioned Ronaldo going. Who replaces Karen Benzema at Real Madrid? Who's going to be their number nine? Ooh. Oh, it's 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 Haaland, isn't it? It's Haaland when yeah. he, he'll do a few years at City and then he's destined for for uh, Madrid. I think him and Jude Bellingham will be at Madrid in like five years' time and they'll just keep winning Champions Leagues. Reckon that'll be Haaland's end goal, basically. Real Madrid number nine. Yeah, I think it's, he's he's definitely got that about him, and I think City was obviously a big club to move to, but I do think still it's a stepping stone to get to Madrid. But they'd probably have him now, but I think it's like get more experience. He's still young, and then dominate at Madrid for a fair few years. I mean, yeah, it, it would make sense as well because he's got that release clause in his contract, allegedly that after two years, foreign clubs can buy him for this much money, and if Real Madrid are going to do that, when big boy Karim is on his way out. Yeah, the timing the works annoyingly perfectly, doesn't it? <laughs> it's true. It it's really true, is. Yeah. I think because Pep's still there, right? I think Pep, if you don't win the Champions League in the next two years, he'll probably bin it off and go back to Barca or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think Haaland would probably do the same. He'll, he'll kind of follow suit and go to Madrid. So it's like you say, it's timing-wise, it's perfect, right? So I reckon it'll happen. Nah, it's true. Nicely done there, Jay, by stealing my choice of Karen Benzema. So um, <laughs> I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go for... Probably the next best striker in La Liga, in my opinion. We've had some children arguing about this on TikTok and YouTube shorts, Suki, about our videos as well. People saying that, yeah, people have been like, oh, yeah, the guy in the middle doesn't know football, referring to you um, as well. But the funny thing is, in that video, you didn't actually speak. So they've called you a clown. I'm like, you didn't actually move your voice, but you've been called a clown, Suki, on the internet by some no children way. and some and some Far Eastern um, Barcelona fans. But I posted it on the day when Barcelona lost to Man United, so it worked perfectly as well. Um, uh, all I gotta say is fuck them. There you go. <laughs> That's what we do. We don't. We don't. We don't like their comments. We just delete them or we block them as well. We're not, we're not <laughs> here for the engagement. We're here That's for the how you, That's how you know you've made it though when kids are arguing with you. There you go, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were arguing about um, Rodrigo Bentancourt, um, about Suki's talk, uh, talking about Bentancourt as well, missing for Spurs. Uh, enough about that. Robert Lewandowski, that's who I was going for. Um, mm, nice. Can't can't not pick him and I can't let either of you have a starting lineup with Benzema and Lewandowski or Vini and Lewandowski as well. Um, although he's been the top scorer right now at Barcelona, although they've been knocked out of the Europa League as well, they are still like eight points clear of La Liga at the moment in time as well. If he does win La Liga in his first season, We've talked about Suarez before. We've talked about Benzema being compared to Lewandowski as well. Does Lewandowski still have that in him to be a Barcelona great by taking him back to Champions League glory potentially in one, two years' time? 34 years of age, still got the quality of goal scoring as well. Or is it one step too far um, to, to hope for that for Barcelona for Robert Lewandowski? Uh, Jay, we'll go with you. What do you think? Um, I mean, if he wins the Champions League, they'll love him forever. I think that's kind of how it works. But mm. <laughs> I think just winning the league this year, although great for him, um, I think he'll go down as like a cult hero, you know? Yeah. Maybe not a legend. Because, I mean, it's only because Barcelona have had too so many, many legends. Yeah. Um, and because he's he's come a bit later in his career. But if, if they go on to win a few more trophies and he's still banging them in when he's like 38, yeah, he'll be a, he'll be a legend quite quickly, I think. 
What is it about these strikers, Suki, that we've seen them last so long into their careers and to 34, 35 years old as well? Do you reckon there's something about starting late in your career as well? Because you've seen Lewandowski move to Borussia Dortmund around 25, 26. Benzema was a bit part player for Real Madrid around 23, 24 as well, like you said, starting at 16, 17. Um, what is it about strikers nowadays? Is it because there's less demand on them in the game because a lot more uh, positions are more advanced? We've seen fullbacks scoring goals, defensive midfielders taking on players. What is it about that, do you think, that strikers are playing a lot more longer? Zlatan came back as well, 41 years of age playing for Ace Man. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to modern science, right? So, uh, again, as we kind of progress in kind of like especially into the future, obviously the sciences are getting better. I mean, players can actually look after their bodies a lot better. And I think Ronaldo is kind of the, the kind of top kind of model for that, right? In terms of how they how now follow his footsteps to have in their diet, in yep. balance. Now, I mean, the money that they're on, they can obviously have a nutritionist. They can obviously have all the sports massages, the therapy that they get after games and obviously manage their load management as well. Because it's quite similar to like the NBA, right? So I think especially with uh, the Spanish teams, you, you see them go kind of really deep into the Champions League because again, they kind of been off the the league games quite a bit. Like, like Gareth Bell kind of put it up right. Imagine, I think it was like his first season in La Liga when he was at Madrid. He even said he goes some of the games that they play, he just like calls off for about thirty minutes and then he takes it serious. So I think uh, stuff like that kind of plays a factor into it. And I think uh, I think even with like the Prem, you see and obviously the players with the minor sciences, they're taking in kind of like the, the vitamins, the pills as well. So you, again, we always talk the about massage like PEDs. guns as well that they have. Exactly, yeah. So I mean, we always talk I bet about. Jay like, has one of those massage guns, right? <laughs> nah, I wish, mate. I wish they look fun. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing weights with all those shirts as well, like literally just getting get the gains with all <laughs> them out. That's what it is. Yeah, he's just getting the guns out. Throwing the Spurs on. ones in the bin. Throwing the Man United ones in the bin. <laughs> Got to lift them and throw them away. Don't want them on clearance. Want to throw them away? Get rid of them. <laughs> nah, exactly. But yeah, just to, just going back on that, I mean, like even like performance enhancing drugs, right? The ones that are actually legalized. I mean, players are going to take them just to kind of make that added edge. And I think you're seeing that, especially with like Benzema. I was only looking at it. He's only 30, what, 35 and he's still going. So I reckon he's still got a couple of years to go yet. And I think Lewandowski will probably be the same. I think if you look at him, he looks after his body. Uh, obviously, being in Barcelona with the heat as well, it kind of helps with that vitamin D. So I think all those all those factors are helping him out. And I think with the experience as well, they know kind of when to make the right movement when to make the right play. And I think having that knowledge, it's uh, it's, it's helped him out later on down the line. Uh, and I think we're seeing that quite often. And I think, with, especially with Klopp as well, we're seeing that kind of the inverted kind of strikers. Quite similar to how you've got Rashford, right? That left winger, but quite inverted as a striker. Yeah. So I think you're seeing a lot more of that rather than having out and out strikers, which is, uh, which is different. And I think that's kind of plays a factor into all of it. Nicely done. Yeah, it's a really good point on sports science as well. We could really go deep into that. Um, as well, especially like with you, so you talk about vitamin D when you're out in Barcelona. Uh, we'll go with Jay, goalkeeper. Let's pick a goalkeeper, but not a Real Madrid goalkeeper. Who would it be? Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, when I was looking at the, um, when you showed me the, the the players and I was like thinking, who would I want? I, all those. By the way, it's not just from our Instagram post. It can be from mm. anyone, by the way. I'm just, yeah. No, I was just saying it's a, yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember looking through it though and think without, Without reading the one player per club, I almost picked like an, a pretty much solid Real Madrid team. <laughs> I, that, I was like, oh, is, shit. Am I going to put Cortina as my Real Madrid player? I'm not too sure now because yeah, we've well, left him it. out. Well, that's it because I think for me, he's probably the best mm. goalkeeper in, the, in La Liga. Um, but I can't pick him. So I'm going to go for me, the second best, uh, which is 
Our black, I think, I, I rate to Stegen. I do, I really do. Um, but I think our black has had that career. He's been at Atletico for how long now? So many years, and he plays under Simeone, who's like you know the goat of defensive football. He's been the solid kind of base of that for years now. He's he, he's a solid keeper. I'm surprised he hasn't moved away from Atletico to be to be like quite honest, and maybe move higher, like come to the Prem and go to a big club, or even go into a the Barca or Real Madrid, but yeah, so I'm going to go with our black. I mean, when you got a five five zero in front of you, you're chilling. You're uh, yeah. you're stealing a wage and you're yellow black as well. <laughs> You've got that defensive unlock, which is great, and your manager's helping you with it, which is which is really easy to see uh, as well. Suki, go on, take your goalkeeper. You're uh, going to go to... Nah, nah, nah. It's going to be one. Of... I've got to I've got to tank the pick to be fair. So I want to go with Claudio Bravo or Betis. Only only Claudio Bravo. Yeah, I mean. Um, there is uh, if I was torn to take the Valencia goalkeeper but I'm like mm, I, I need that Valencia pick for an outfield pair so I'm about to sacrifice you've got a Valencia pick oh, oh of course man ah uh, okay I thought personally you were going to go to Sevilla I thought you were going to go for your boy I thought you were going to go for Bono why didn't you uh, go for Bono Suki your boy nah, your Moroccan nah. boy I, I could have but I mean yeah <laughs> gotta play it safe sometimes yeah, it's true. So Jay went for Oblak. Um, Suki, so you're going for Bravo. Is Bravo even first? Is Bravo even first choice at Real Betis? I think he is. You sure he's not backup? He might be. I don't even know. Actually, I'm just putting that because I know he plays for Betis. So <laughs> I'm just have to, I'm have to take the pick, man. <laughs> Shameless uh, pick. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Who else you got? You got Unai Simon. You got Testagen. Uh, you've got Romero at Real Sociedad. Who weren't too bad at, at Man United. That's all I can kind of think of. There's a guy called Ledesma. Apparently, he's got like, the most saves in the league at the moment. But I mean, that's that's another shameless pick. So yeah, it's true. It's shameless. But if you don't know them, I, I personally I wouldn't pick them if I don't know them. So I'm not going to yeah. BS the Thanks. audience and and you guys as well. Uh, Suki, take us take us away um, with your uh, with your centre back, your defender. Oh, defender. Ooh, I think I might have to use my Valencia pick for this one. Uh, I don't like it, man. <laughs> but I'll have to go with uh, uh, Diakabi from Valencia, the centre-back. Diakabi. Diakabi, Diakabi, or however you want to pronounce it. Not going for Jose Gaia? Nah, I think he's. I think his legs are going, to be fair, <laughs> when you watch him play. I wouldn't, yeah. mind, I wouldn't mind him at, um, at, in the Premier League as well. I think it'd be a pretty decent player. So you're going for Diakabi as your, as your defender. Jay, who's your defender now? Are you going for probably one of the best defenders in, in Barcelona or are you going to go somewhere else? Uh, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go for Pau Torres. I think um, I like him. You madman! You stole <laughs> my defender. <laughs> Snatching her all up, man. Oh, my days. Pau Torres is my guy. He's Suki a boy, isn't he? Suki doesn't particularly rate him, do you, Suki? No, I think if he came to the Premier, he'd get absolutely murdered, man. He's too slow. You said he was a left-footed Lindelof. <laughs> Lindelof, yeah, he's, yeah, he's literally left foot, left foot Lindelof. Yeah, oh, I, I rate him, man. I rate. Well, I mean, what they've done in the in the in the Europa League as well. Like, maybe you're right with Premier League because Premier League is different. Like, but if mm. we're talking in the league, he he's smashing it. And I think in, in European football as well, like I say, the Europa League, they've seemed to like conquer that, haven't they? So, um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy to 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 keep Paul Torres in there, and I want to save my Barcelona pick for a bit later as well. Uh, that's the thing with me I'm not sure if I'm going to have to because I know Suki's just said that he's going to get a Val- oh he's used his Valencia pick which is fine I've used it yeah 
Yeah, you okay. can have it now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've, I've got someone for Valencia in the middle, which I think will be fun. Um, but I'm going to have to use my defender already as... No, I can't. I can't. I can't because there's already. I've already picked Barcelona. Oh. Yeah, I know okay. you're going to pick as well. <laughs> who's like? Who's I going to pick? Number four, oh, Araujo. <laughs> I was going to go for Araujo, so I can't even pick him. Uh, you know what? Atletico Madrid. Let's let's throw it out there as well. It's not Matt Doherty, so he's. So I'm not not saying Matt Doherty at all. Uh, I'm going to have to go for Molina. I'm only going to go for Molina because of how I saw him at the World Cup and how I saw him on. Um, Saturday when they played against Real Madrid as well I did like how Atletico Madrid played against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu they played a proper Simeone way of playing and I don't really like watching La Liga in, in that sense but the big games I do I like watching and I do appreciate the fact that it's on ITV4 now as well not this premier sports thing um, which is the case so Molina is my guy um, that I'm going to go for as well at the back and my Atletico Madrid choice Suki take us away with your midfield pick who are we going for? I'm going to go to Atletico and I'm going to choose Rodrigo Depor. So quick and you're going easy. For, you're going for a savage there. Yeah, absolute, absolute geezer. Rodrigo Depor. Jay, would you need someone like Rodrigo Depor to benefit having Enzo Fernandez and Rodrigo Depor? Do you reckon all Argentinian players nowadays are getting another 30 million on top because they're World Cup winners? What do you think about that theory, Jay? Uh, I mean, I'm not against it. Not against it. I'd be stupid to say I'm against that midfield. Um, I've not actually considered that, to be honest. I think um, with Enzo coming in, it was kind of like, a, thank God we've got a midfielder and someone will play alongside him. But like, you know, we've tried a few different options and it seems that no one's working. So I absolutely wouldn't be against that partnership. Um, I think Chelsea's biggest problem is striker, though. I think we need to focus all on that before we go anywhere else. Yeah, that's when we're looking at strikers down the line as well. But I'm looking forward to seeing how Rodrigo de Paul does in his career as well. Because he played as a right midfielder um, at, at the World Cup for Argentina, but as a proper defence midfielder, a proper dog in that midfield as well. And I do like these players as well because Argentinian players are just built differently from what yeah, we've man. seen as well, which is good. And hopefully we see a lot more of that. Not from Christian Romero, because it is a savage uh, for Spurs as well, but more from <laughs> more from Enzo Fernandez as well. Uh, and I think, for, for Chelsea as well, like that's exactly what we're like, you know, you think of some of the best Chelsea players ever, they all had that bite, they dog in all them. had that dog in them. We need that again. It's true. It's really, really true. Jay, who are you going for in your midfield? This is where I'm going to use my Barcelona pick. I'm going to go for Pedri. I think... You have gone for a very good player. I, I I knew you were going to steal it from Suki, which is good. So I've already yeah. used my Barca picks. So I can't even. Oh, use it. You know what? I should have just picked him second. I should have just got it out of the way, man. Yeah, <laughs> Pedri, what a boy, man. I mean, there's there's that stat in the minute that like they've won like 90 percent of their games with him and without him, like way way less. Like he is so vital to them being so good at the minute. Like obviously top of the league. Like he has been that guy, and he's so young as well. Like that's what's exciting, and and I think Xavi, of course, you know, almost you know, playing in a similar role, like teaching him, like he's learning from one of the best midfielders in, in history. Like I love it. And I love, I personally, I do have a, like a nice kind of romanticism of Barcelona, uh, you know, and everything that they've done in the past, the Cruyff, the Pep, now to the Xavi. So like that being instilled into a player like Pedri, and of course you've got Gavi as well, but I'm picking Pedri for this. It, I think Gavi's majorly him. overrated from what I've seen at the World Cup from yeah, this season yeah. as well. Pedri is the real deal for me. I he think is, it's going to be a superstar of a midfielder and work with Frankie de Jong in that midfield, learning from Sergio Busquets in the last couple of years of his career as well, will do him the world of good. And working under Xavi as well, 
There's no reason why Pedri can't be a top three midfield player for the rest of his, his time. Like we've seen with Xavi, like we've seen with Iniesta as well, being yeah. that bridge from the next for the next generation of players from Barcelona and La Decima as well. Um, so I really do like Pedri. I think he's amazing. Same. Yeah, I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan of him and uh, I think he's going to take Barcelona back to where they used to be. Him and obviously others, so I'm going to pick him. Nicely done. Good pick there. So you like Pedri, don't you? You're a, you're a Pedri person. Quality player, mate. Quality player. I just, I just don't know why I called you a Pedri person. It's not going to stick, is it? Pedri I mean, person. It's a bit weird, but it's I, right. I like it. I like it, Pedri person. Hey, what Pedri person. Alliteration works well for us, which is really, really <laughs> nice. Uh, my midfielder, I am going to go for Valencia, and I am going to go for someone who I have appreciated since day. He is a former Arsenal Academy youth product. He formerly was an English player. Then he moved to the USA. He had a fantastic World Cup. Um, from what I saw of him as well. He has gone from playing as a winger to an all-action midfielder um, as well. And I'm surprised I haven't gone for my Real Madrid pick yet, but I know for a fact you two picked Real Madrid, so I can leave my Real Madrid pick till last. So I am going to go for Yunus Musa. I think he's going to be my boy uh, for this one as well. I really did like him, but it's very, very odd seeing an American player with a London accent in the US men's national team. It's very, very odd. But I, um, one of our first ever episodes ever, Friday Night Counter-Attack, uh, we used to do scouting reports all the time. So we talk about young players coming through. Yunus Musa was like my third or fourth one. And I think he scored in a 2-2 draw against Real Madrid. And I was like, yeah, this, this boy's going to be good. And it's still a boy. I think he's only like 20 years old still as well. He started with playing for them when he was 17 years old. So I'm a big fan of Yunus Musa. And um, Jay, I just wanted to ask you as well. We spoke about this last week with, um, with your boy Double A actually about how a lot of English people and American people, they go over to Europe and have a really good time of developing their skills. What do you think uh, English players can actually do by moving over to La Liga? Do you reckon they can learn a certain type of way of playing? Do you reckon they can learn a different type of playing uh, football compared to the Premier League? Yeah, for sure. They get that different you know, view and perspective on things. I think you know, every different country has their perspective on football. Um, so just learning about different ones is just it just great for football knowledge. I think I think it's quite an underrated thing over here. Like football intelligence is quite a thing that gets overlooked a little bit. It's more about like ability and you know determination and all these kind of words. Whereas over there, you'll think of more. Well, over in Europe, uh, you'll think of more like you know IQ and and the way the game is fought out. So it it can do the world of good to players. I think you know we've seen so many that recently uh, do well. Um, and it's great. I think, you know, as well from, for, on a personal level, like you, you grow up quicker, you know, you get, you can, you have to become an adult because you're like either like suffice, you know, surviving on your own or, or like having to interact with people out of your comfort zone, have to learn in a new language, all these things just like personally develop you as a, as an adult and as a person that make you a better person. And if you're a better person, ultimately you're going to be a better footballer more confident, more, you know, like more, you know, sure of yourself. So I think there's so many positives of going abroad for young players. I mean, as well, just come on, if you're like 16 and you get to go and play for Barcelona or something, like, you go live in Barcelona, like be in the W Hotel. <laughs> like, it'd be going pretty, through black curtains every yeah, weekend, yeah, like Suki not, does. It's not oh, bad, me. is it? So it's, it's, it's good for many reasons. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I was any good at football and, and Dortmund or, or anyone came sniffing around, I would have went. AC Milan as well for Keo Tomori. That's another yeah. one oh, as well. What a boy. Miss him. What? I miss him in the Premier League as well, which is good. Everyone's final pick. This is going to be fun. I get to pick my Real Madrid pick in peace. I've used my Barcelona pick. I've used my Atletico Madrid pick. Uh, Jay, your final pick. Where are you going? It can be anywhere in the pitch. Defender, midfielder, attacker. Where are you going with this one? 
Are you an attacking guy or a defensive guy? Let's see. Oh, I think I kind of have to get some sort of defense. I'm stuck, actually. I'm trying to look now at the list. Um, so, so, yeah, you've got Paul Torres. You've got Pedri. Yeah. And I've got Benzema up top, haven't I? So, like... Maybe a link between the two. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm really stuck, actually. <laughs> I'm really stuck. It's such a shit league, honestly, man. <laughs> I don't know what happens in order to do it, but it was like a league, man. It's so bad. It's because you went there. It's a good segue to go to Spain as well. So I was like... <laughs> no, it listen. was, but fuck me. The league's so shit. <laughs> it's a bit ropey, isn't it, the league? Um, oh, my days. We were just hyping them up about being Europa League winners, Champions League winners, and all of that. And then just like, yeah, the rest of the league just dead. We've used Barcelona and Real Madrid to the extent that there's no one else can pick it, which is crazy. Not mention Frankie de Jong, we're not even mentioned like too many, any of these players as well, just done. No Dembele or anything. Oh, this is going to be good. What teams can you pick? You've got Real Betis to pick. You've got Getafe, Athletic Bilbao. If you want to go for that sports Bible player, Inaki Williams, you just see all the time. He's never missed a game in... That's that's how people know just through sports battle, which is mad. Yeah, yeah. No, Sevilla I, got a team if you want to go for Sevilla. I think yeah, I might go Sevilla. Um, I'm I, I might, I'm going to butcher his name now, um, but the Moroccan lad. Um, in the Ziri. And the Ziri, yeah. Boy, boy, I love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy. I mean, obviously, the World Cup proved you know some nice things for him, and and um, yeah, I think I'm going to just go all out attack and get him and Benzema playing together with Pedri behind them. I'll take it. I'll that's take a, it. That's a good five-a-side team as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're nipping it about quite nicely in Power League there. It's working so well at Star City on, on the rooftops as well. It's working oh, so well there, which is good fun. What a beautiful place, eh? That's a throwback <sighs> for me. <laughs> it's, that's how we started our podcast, show because we, we played Friday Night Football at Power League as well. So. Is it? Oh, yeah. mate, that's wicked. I used to go to that Power League and that goal all the time. I literally lived on Slade Road, so like down the road from there. <laughs> Oh, bloody hell, you're only around the corner. Yeah, yeah. You're close by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness, boys. Small world. <laughs> Small world, eh? So you're going for end the series. Um, my guy. Um, I really thought you should be a player that the top six clubs should be looking for at, um, as a striker as well from what has performed at the World Cup and for Sevilla um, as well. Suki, where are you going for your last pick? Do you know what? I might as well just pick him, you know, because then it kind of completes my team to be a full-on shit-house team. So I'll take Gabby from Barcelona. <laughs> All the Barcelona players you're going for, and you're going for Gavi. <laughs> yeah, because he completes the shit house, doesn't he? Because you've got DePaul, Gavi's a little shit. You've got Vinny Jr., everyone hates. You've got Diacarbi, that's he just he just runs like a headless chicken. And then you've got Claudio Bravo, who does mad shit when he's in goal. So kind of works. <laughs> it kind of works as well. Kind of works. Chaos ball. It is a chaos five aside that you've got there as well. Uh, Modric or Cruz? Where am I going, guys? Where am I going? You know who you got to pick there, mate. Come on, man. There's, there's one answer there. There's only one answer, man. Like, my favourite is Tony Cruz. I absolutely adore him. I think he's amazing as a footballer and he's been one of the most complete centre midfielders I've ever seen um, from start to finish as well, moving from a right midfielder to a centre midfielder. But how can you sleep on Luka Modric? You cannot sleep yeah. on Luka Modric is the answer. Suki's beaming right now being the Spurs fan, but he was 27 when he left and he had no trophies to his name. Probably had one. Maybe the Carabao Cup, uh, Carabao Cup you may have won. Or maybe it was a season before he moved. Um, oh, no, he didn't, he didn't win that. He, he came the season after, yeah. Yeah, it's true. One day Ramos. He wasn't there under Ronde Ramos. But Luka Modric as a footballer, what are you doing if you're sleeping on this guy? I've said this before as well. But I need to... I need to. He's in my team. But I need to ask you, you guys this. Start bench cell. Zidane, Modric and Xavi. 
Let's get some more people anger at us in the comments, Suki. Do you want me to start? Okay, start. Okay, I'll sell Javi. Bench Modric starts it on. Go on, Jay. I'm close to agreeing to that. Um, Zidane has to start. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lock that one in. Um, for me, Xavi is such a beautiful footballer, but maybe benefited from a great system. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Whereas Modric is just the complete... But then again, he has, you know, some of the best... Those Both those were be- a part of some of the best midfield frees ever both of those players so like you you can say the same thing for Modric so that's so difficult Zidane will win you a game Zidane is one of the goats so he has to stay but between the other two uh, just to be different I'm going to keep Xavi on the bench and I'll, I'll get rid of Modric because he's Tottenham wow. <laughs> good reason good reason right there as well <laughs> get him gone get him off Xavi got carried by Ronaldinho and Messi so just saying <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Xavi carried them. Maybe yeah, Xavi know. carried them. Never know. Never yeah, know. <laughs> I, I'm so obsessed with this Marcus Rashford celebration. I do it all the time now. It's odd. Um, but yeah, that completes my five aside as well. And for for the sake of continuity, I'd go start Zidane, bench Modric, and sell Xavi. Mostly because um of Modric's longevity, to be fair, mm. as well. It gets mm. slept on how well he's done over the years as well. And he could easily have retired. He could have gone off to another league, the MLS, to Qatar, to China, wherever at the age of 33, 34. But he also goes to show, like we spoke about Lewandowski and Benzema, the longevity of a footballer and the way that he played at Anfield as well was sublime. Yeah, he is a yeah. sublime footballer. And a lot of people who don't appreciate midfielders for what they do, if they don't see what Luka Modric brings to the game. And I've seen this saying a lot recently as well. But they've used it on players like Sabitzer, which I don't think is fair to them. But when you look at Luka Modric, you see the whole game. When you see the whole game, you don't see Luka Modric. But you look at Luka Modric specifically, you will see him do everything and you will see the whole game work through Luka Modric. And that's why I think he's one of the best midfielders of all time. I, th- I hope everyone would agree and I hope everyone would disagree with nothing that I just said there as well because Luka Modric... I think what a lot of people don't grasp the concept of is his nationality. It's an elephant in the room. But if he was Spanish or Italian... Or Argentinian. Oh, go, go, go. It's Croatian. Yeah. Mm. Not sure. Does that Real Madrid, but look at what he's done for Croatia. Amazing footballer as well. I'll tell you what, a, a great, not stat, but because I don't know the specific numbers, but for Croatian football, of course, they've not been a country for as long as you kind of think because of Yugoslavia. Mm. So when you think of Croatia as a country, they've entered, say, let's, I'm throwing numbers out here, but they've maybe entered eight international competitions. Yeah, they've been to probably like four or five semi-finals out of it. Like, so when it comes to the, the the kind of time frame, they're actually sick and they do get slept on, and that kind of feeds into the Modric kind of getting slept on thing as well. Absolutely, it goes to show how well Luka Modric has done for his country and for his uh, team, yeah. Real Madrid as well. Yeah, man, just not Spurs, eh, Suki? Just not Spurs. Right, every, right, Jay. Hey, I'll let you go. Um, thank you for your time. But before you go, just plug your channel for us, please, and your Instagram page as well. Yeah, no, lads, honestly, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I love talking about football. Um, so, you know, any opportunity, we'll do it. And it's nice that, you know, some local lads as well, West Midlands, big up. That's really cool. 
Um, but no, yeah, retro football kits, do all the social medias. We do, we've run everything, run literally everything. If you type in retro football kits, you'll see my face. Uh, if you love football kits like, as much as I do, you'll love the channel. So check them out, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. Just type in retro football kits and you'll find it. Nicely done, Jay. Good seeing you again, my friend. Hopefully see you soon. Take care. Cheers, man. See you Take care, Jay. See you later, lads. There we go. Right, so can you just end off the podcast as well? Um, I did need to ask you as well. We did speak about Luka Modric. We did speak about his longevity in the game as well. I wanted to kind mm. of ask you just before, if, if Salon does come on the podcast later, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It's absolutely <coughs> fine. But I wanted to kind of ask you as well. As a Spurs fan, have you seen that longevity in Harry Kane of how well he's done for Tottenham Hotspur as well? Because you've seen it with Kane and you've seen it with Son. Their partnership has grown over the years as well. But where are the kind of new relationships coming from through uh, Tottenham Hotspurs? Can you see anything happen with that? Because for Man United, from what I've seen, that Bruno and that Rashford combination has been so lethal recently. And it's only kind of been worked on over the past. Well, with Eriksen Hag, it worked. With Solskjaer, it worked. Under Ragnick, it didn't. But do you, do you, do you kind of see that with, with players at Spurs? Because we've seen that with players over the years, but it consistently works with diff- different managers, different systems. Hasn't really been working for a lot of teams, but... It works so well with some players. And I just wanted to kind of know your thoughts on that, on that chemistry work uh, between different people and different players. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I mean, Kane and Son, I mean, I don't want to kind of like rabble on about it, but I mean, the stats prove it, right? So kind of the, the most joint partnership in terms of goals and assists yeah. uh, kind of speaks volumes itself. But I think kind of the one that I've been seeing mould up from when Conte started was Bentecourt and Hoiberg. Mm. So kind of that double pivot in midfield. And it is it is frustrating as a fan because when you watch it, when we play against teams like United or say like Chelsea, they always play free in the middle. So you're always getting bullied, right? So it's always interesting to see how they kind of double pivot. But you see Bentecourt kind of drive a bit more forward and obviously drive towards Kane, obviously Kulo and Son or Richie, but then Hoiberg would obviously sit back a bit, sit deep, kind of protect him. But then sometimes Hoiberg will go up as well when obviously Bentacore wants to kind of drop back. So that understanding relationship, it, it takes time, right? And I think especially with kind of chemistry, obviously with FIFA, you always get the cards. That's obviously green chem. But I think <laughs> in natural real life, it's it, true. It, it takes time. It takes time to develop, right? And I think it's not just something that happens overnight or something that happens in six months. It takes a good, probably a good season for it to actually develop. Because uh, again, you need, you need to be exposed, especially, like Betacorn and Hoiberg, they've always been exposed to different systems that we played against teams with a 4 3 3, a 4 2 3 1, or kind of like a 4 5 1, or again, like even with like a 3 4 3. So it's always good to see them get kind of exposure towards different systems and how they react to it and how they change. So sometimes when you get we get overpowered with the three in the middle, obviously we need obviously Sun or Kulo to kind of tuck in a bit more uh, and then kind of one of them will sit back a bit to kind of make that kind of three in the middle. So it's a, it's interesting to wait to see to see how they kind of move with their relationship. And I think Hoyerberg is obviously having that experience with Bentacle. He's obviously showing that with Skip at the moment. And I think we might be steady enough to kind of creep towards that top four. I'm not still not confident, but I mean, having that kind of uh, know-how skip and I think he's back to what he was. I think he can do that kind of same similar role with Bentacore. He's obviously not the same, but he'll have that kind of managed relationship with Hoiberg. And I think having Hoiberg, the kind of the Viking in the middle, he kind of speaks with that kind of, that kind of leadership quality of, of communicating, of telling the player, and obviously now you go forward, let's, let's kind of press on the team, especially when you have like those purple patches in games. So I think, uh, yeah, again, with those kind of relationships with Spurs at the moment, that's the one that stands out the most. I think everyone else doesn't really, it doesn't really connect, if that makes sense. Uh, it's, it's quite frustrating, but I think that's because obviously 
the kind of in terms of quality is very it's it, again it lacks quality in terms of players in certain positions so uh but yeah i think those two kind of stand out for me as the next kind of partnership within kind of tottenham uh, and i think everyone else is starting to get on board but i don't know how you see it from an outside view from from united yeah because like what i was literally thinking as well because we were literally just talking with jay before we had to go we were talking about modric and we talked about his part his partnership with tony cruz and casemiro have done amazing casemiro looks like he's fitting like a glove at Manchester United, not an OJ Simpson glove, but a glove nevertheless that fits well um, with Fred and with, with Bruno Fernandes as well. We've spoken about Zidane and we've spoken about how well he did with Patrick Vieira. We haven't. Yeah. He, he did very well with Patrick Vieira for France, Manuel Petit for France as well. Works with Guti, works with uh, David Beckham as well um, at Real Madrid. But I was just kind of thinking as well, what kind of partnerships are we seeing in the Premier League now? We've seen the Kane and Son I'm seeing Bruno and Rashford from my kind of side as well. I mentioned Casemiro just there. Lisandro Martinez and Rafael Varane. Do you think partnerships is kind of what makes such such good chemistry in the Premier League? And if you can think of any, just before we wrap up as well, can you think of any? Because I'm looking through and we spoke, yeah, yeah. I mean, spoke about how we miss Mane, Firmino, Salah and how Liverpool yeah. missed it. That's a big partnership gone um, from the Premier League as well. I'm talking more in terms of like, I think Odegaard and Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli have a very good partnership in their attacking trio, I would say. Chelsea are non-existent, like we said with Jay earlier. So no disrespect <laughs> there, because they have all new players, so there's no chemistry there um, as yeah. well. But any, any of them that you can think of? As well, yeah, no, I, was, I was actually going to say, as, as a rival fan, I can't fucking stand them, but I mean, mm. Odegaard and Saka, because you always see Odegaard kind of tailored towards more to the right, which again, obviously, he's kind of built that relationship with Saka, getting in between defenders, and obviously trying to get a pen or trying to get a touch in or cutting in and shooting. So I think they've kind of built a really good relationship over time. And I think with obviously Arteta being there what, for three years, they've obviously played together for a full season, and it kind of proves the point where they've had a full season under the belt. And when you watch them, it's kind of telepathic the way that they kind of move when they need to pass the ball in. Uh, it is frustrating because obviously you have Martinelli there who probably can skin most right backs in the league and he never gets the ball so mm. it's kind of like for us it's kind of good because Martinelli doesn't get the ball but at the same time obviously he's he's built that relationship with Saka so I think that's a probably a good kind of uh, kind of partnership you've got there I'm just trying to think of other teams really because I think because there have been so many transfers and changes uh, that doesn't really kind of speak kind of volumes as to who's kind of built partnerships because like Brighton have had the same thing where they've had new players come in Callister and Matoma, they're working really well together as well. But it was randomly seeing Pasquale Gross playing left back for some reason as well at Brighton. Yeah, Somehow it still yeah. works for Brighton, which is crazy. <laughs> um, crazy to see. But no, I was I was looking at it, and I think this is going to be quite a niche one. But Harrison Reed and Paulina for Fulham, I think that's been a very good partnership oh, for yeah, them yeah, in, the, in the Premier right. League as well. Yeah. The, Paulina's made the most interceptions, the most tackles in the Premier League this season as well. Harrison Reed is just a great box-to-box midfielder. After leaving Southampton a couple of years ago, going down to the lower leagues and helping Fulham come up as well. I think that's a an underrated partnership in the Premier League this season. Harrison Reed and Jao Paulina as well. And you mentioned also a couple of weeks ago about Mateus Nunes as well. Mateus, Mateus Nunes and Ruben Neves. I know, I know they love their Portuguese essence there in, in Wolverhampton, but... That's a decent little partnership as well. And I've been a big sucker for partnerships over the years. And it's just something I wanted to get on just as we were speaking with Jay there. But I think partnerships are really what makes football a lot more interesting. As opposed to individual brilliance and Messi and Ronaldo, but partnerships when you're looking at Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo, Messi, Suarez, Neymar, it works so well. And I'm looking at some of the modern ones as well. With all the rotation you see at Manchester City, you don't really see that much in terms of, even from centre-back's point of view as well, you don't see Diaz and Laporte as much at centre-back as well. So that's quite um, an odd one as well. And I was just looking at the Man United game. I mean, kickoffs just started for Man United, so I watched that in a bit, which is fine. 
But you're looking at Lisandro Martinez, you're looking at Matt Rafael Varela, that works in such right. a good partnership right now in the back. You're looking at Casemiro working with, before it was Ericsson, who was great, but Ericsson is now injured. So you're looking at Bruno Fernandes working with Marcus Rashford, who I think is a, a great little partnership that we've got going on at Manchester United as well. And I just really, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what more partnerships we're going to see, not just in the Champions League, the Premier League, but just across world football. Because a couple of years ago, I was really gassed about the Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku situation as well. And they've both kind of gone downhill from there as well in terms of their goal scoring. Martinez won the World Cup, obviously, but they've both kind of gone downhill in terms of their goal scoring. And my last question to you for this podcast is, are, are partnerships more important than people think in football? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think it's like you say, I mean, Chelsea's probably a good example of this where they've signed all these players and they, they expect it to work. And it's like, well, it won't work because you've got to, you've got to give that time. And I think with that time, you're building those partnerships. So, Again, like um, I think Jay kind of mentioned about Reese James and then um, forgot the guy's name out right wing. Um, yeah, Maduke. Lad, Maduke, yeah. So it's kind of like that, they're going to build that partnership together now because obviously they're English. They're going to build it up. Obviously, they will play for the national squad at some point. And I think when Jay said he'll just be a bench player, I don't think he will, to be fair. I think he'll probably start from the, from the rest of the team that they've got there. They've not got really kind of natural right wingers. Um, so I think that kind of partnership might delve into something in the future. So kind of those kind of partnership and I think yeah nationality kind of plays a part in it as well if you know someone that's quite close from a national kind of team you'll see you play quite well so like Casemiro and Fred surprisingly that is a partnership because they do kind of play well together when they do play and you always see Casemiro kind of sitting down and you let Fred kind of push up a bit more which is more effective rather than sitting deep um, so I think nationality plays a part in terms of that kind of kind of culture fit with each other how they play understanding the language of communication and I think that's obviously the most important and then obviously the experience comes into it as well so yeah, we'll, you'll probably start seeing it a lot more, but I think with the Prem, because of the demand of the kind of the teams that are expected to kind of hit certain levels, you, you'll see these partnerships only last for a certain amount of time and then it gets replaced or rechanged. So, and formation changes as well. So, uh, it's hard to combine the Prem. But when you look at teams like La Liga, like Italy, you're starting to see a bit more. Like Napoli is a good example of Carvascalia and Osimen, the way that they play together. Like, he knows, knows Osimen's going to be in the box to header a ball. So, he knows when to cross the ball in, when to play in. And even Lozano's the same as well, to be fair, with us. And he knows when to kind of go forward and to sit back. So, yeah, you're seeing that kind of partnership there. So, again, you see that more frequently within the kind of the other European leagues, probably not so much in the Prem, because, uh, again, it's the demand and the, the, the constant change of rotation of managers and players. You, you, you won't see it as more often, but I think United's a good example, like Martinez and Moran. It's, it's very settled. It's, 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 it was works. And, again, like the game against Newcastle did quite well in terms of defending the whole game with a clean sheet. So, yeah, props to them. Just feels very comfortable right now as a Man United fan. I hope I haven't jinxed that because we've just kicked off against West Ham United at the time of speaking. Um, <laughs> but no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. It's been a great podcast. Suki, as always, great to see you and have you on the podcast here, my friend. Thank you for telling your your behind-the-scenes story or behind-the-curtain yeah. stories at, at Barcelona <laughs> as well. So that was, that was quite fun to listen back to as well. Hopefully our listeners don't take any offence to that. And a big thank you to Jay as well for joining the pod podcast this week as well. Rightly so, Salim is back for the finale of our podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, the Premier League fixtures coming up this week. Uh, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, we found out that Liverpool have beaten Wolverhampton Wanderers and Arsenal have beaten Everton 4-0. 4-0 at home, they thrashed them, Salim. Um, but realistically speaking... I need to go through the fixtures with you for this weekend. It'll go in order. It'll be easier for you as well. So continuity-wise, we'll start with the Carabao Cup uh, finalists, Newcastle, against Manchester City, the four times winners under Pep Guardiola uh, in their recent terms as well. They've won the Carabao Cup loads of times. 
Are you expecting a routine Manchester City win or do Newcastle have something in them? Obviously, with a return in it, Pope, to actually cause an upset. And I personally think Newcastle are one of the few teams that can actually help Arsenal in this title race as well by helping Man City drop points. A draw would be ideal um, for Arsenal in this game. A, a win for Newcastle would be amazing. But what do you think, Salem, for this one? Uh, you know, the thing is with, with the Newcastle, I feel like they've fallen off quite a bit. Um, they've not been performing quite well recently. Um, and that's I'd say since the, the World Cup. Teams... Since the World yeah, Cup, they've been yeah, you know, the team's crazy. Been... Yeah, the teams with like the biggest squads you can see tend to do better when it comes to this sort of stage. I don't know what's gone wrong with them. Maybe it's a mentality problem, or like you know they're they're struggling a little bit. They're struggling in front the, of the goal. Time they played. They're just not scoring. Yeah, enough. I remember when they played ones or nil nils, or it's just not good enough for Newcastle. I think at the moment. Yeah, that's the that's it. To be honest, I remember when they played Man City earlier in the season, and you know they looked so good back then, and they drew three all. But I, I just don't see the same sort of level um, coming from them at the moment. But they could obviously shock shock everyone. Even in the United game, they played well, but it's just in that final third they didn't do enough. You know, against a poor Liverpool team, they were they struggled the other day. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they can get say Maximan firing potentially and you know mix it up a little bit. But at the moment, I can't see past the Man City win. Yeah, with so Maximan as well, it just seems same old story every season. He just He's got all the tricks in the bag. He's got the amazing dribbling skills, but he just can't finish his dinner. Alain say maximum That's a big issue when you've got someone like Wilson or Isaac kind of just having to rely upon them for goals as well. And you've got a return in Bruno Guimaraes like we did in the Carabao Cup. So that would be a big midfield battle between Bruno Guimaraes and Kevin De Bruyne in this midfield um, battle as well. But one thing on Man City before we move on to the next is what are you making of Pep Guardiola's new system of his free two for one formation how are you how are you finding that and have you actually got to see it in action properly yeah, i got to see i got to see it live um against us uh yeah. it was a bit shocked to be honest to be after he lost that game i knew he was gonna they were gonna go for it against us it's something different um but again i just don't see man city as being as good as they have been in previous seasons normally they're sort of you know, just choke teams to death with possession and it's not the same this season they've looked a bit more vulnerable and a lot more teams can get at them. So, so yeah, it, it looks like maybe it's one for Pep to to consider going forward. I'm not sure if he'll stick with this tactic long-term, but when you've got all these great attacking players, you need to fit them in somehow. Yeah, especially yeah, like, with like, Joao Cancelo as well. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you can tell clearly he needs the left-back and Rico Lewis is doing a decent job at right-back, but... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure. Defensively, they don't look the same, and even in midfield, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's playing Haaland, playing a striker. They've sort of lost out on that player that drops in because normally they use, they prefer using that player can, that can get involved with the player a lot more. Like I know Aguero sort of um, adjusted his playing style and adapted for Pep Guardiola, but I'm not sure Haaland can do the same. It's quite different the sort of role that he plays. Maybe that's why Kane would have been a bit better for them. But you can't really complain about Haaland. He's already got more than 20 goals. It's it's just system problems at the moment. Yeah, for them just... And he never gets found as well. Like, no one ever passes the ball to him either. So, <laughs> something not right there. It's true. Something to deal with later in the season, I think, for Man City. Arsenal versus Bournemouth, Salim. We're talking about potential title challenges. Arsenal, who, like we said earlier, thrashed Everton in the, in the Premier League at home. Another home game against a, a Bournemouth side who are probably probably flirting with relegation at the moment, I would say. The, out of the new promoted sides, are the ones that are kind of around that kind of area. But I'm 
ever since Scott Parker's left, they've done pretty good, I would say, going forward. So, um, just your thoughts today. A routine win for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal? What do you think, Zalem? Yeah, they had a little bit of a stumble. Um, and I thought the game against Villa, if they would have lost that game and if Man City were, were going to win that day, I reckon Man City would have overtaken them uh, by now. And, you know, they, they would have been top of the table and they wouldn't be wouldn't be displaced after that. But Five-point gap great, after that game in hand against um, Everton. You know, they showed great character against us and Forrest, you know, Nottingham Forest got the point against Man City. So I still think the title's in Arsenal's hands. I think they've got one hand on the trophy already. And, you know, I actually I actually want Arsenal to win the title and I feel like they will beat Bournemouth this weekend. Yeah, it's looking good with Arsenal right now. Martinelli scoring a couple of good goals. Trossard looking like he's settling into this Arsenal side um, after a few ropey appearances uh, for the Gunners as well. But realistically speaking, there's five points separating 20th and 14th in the Premier League right now. So a lot of the teams that will go through, like I said, with Bournemouth being in 19th position, flirting with relegation, two or three wins together, like we saw back in uh, January, they're back up, um, back into 14th. They're back into mid-table as well. So they're not too, doing too bad, but early days for relegation as well, which would be good fun. Speaking of relegation, Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace. Oh, this will be a good one. Because realistically speaking, you were talking about European football for next season. But with Unai Emery, I'm thinking this is a game where he'll he'll consider this a six-pointer. It's 11th versus 12th in the league, Salim. You are above them by four points as well. Um, and realistically speaking, I personally think if you were under Steven Gerrard still, you probably would be in that relegation battle in the 14th to 20th position as well. And Unai Emery's got you the the clear draws and the, and the wins that you've needed to... Um, move up in the table and stay consistently at the, at the top of the bottom of the table I would say what are you looking forward to against Crystal Palace Adam? or who are you looking forward to against Crystal Palace yeah like you said uh, agree with everything you've said there really about you know before and now under Emery um, I think he's still learning um, but like you know and I think we're after a new director of football so I think the players are learning you know constantly and there's so much research and a lot of like analysing going on behind the scenes that we don't even know. Um, you know, we've mentioned signing so many times, but just in terms of playing style and Emery's demands, you can see the players are, you know, getting used to it, well, a lot more used to it than they were before. Um, I feel like it is, it is a you know, 10th, uh, 11 versus 12th, and if we win, we can go above Chelsea. I think we're level with Chelsea, just I think we're seven goals worse off than them in terms of goal difference. So, It'd be a, it's going to be a good game. Um, I feel like if we can get this and if we can finally just get into that top half of the table, it'd, it'd be it'd make a change and it'd be quite nice at this part of the season to be in that top half and then try and just build on that, you know, build the platform and try and try and end the season in the top 10. I think that'd be a big achievement for us. Um, I know like the, the board are just happy with like a mid-table, like sort of finish this season. Like there's no danger of relegation in that sense and they really want to push on next season. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to, you know, the, like every Villa game, I just look forward to that all week. And, you know, you could either make or break my week weekend. Don't say that. That's, um, that's painful to hear. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's quite bad. I was actually thinking about it before I came on the podcast. But in terms of Leon Bailey, he's a player that I rate quite highly, but it's just inconsistency from him. And I want to see him perform more consistently. Like on his day, he's so he's unplayable. He's such a good player. Like the United game, you know, he was so good there. He was great against um, who was the other one? He had a, he's had a, he's had quite a few really good games, but then there's just games where he's anonymous. He just drops like you know like a four out of ten goes like you can't even tell he's there. But he's got all the the attributes and qualities to be 
a top Premier League player. Like a lot of big teams were after him before as well, like United and Chelsea. Um, and you know he stayed at Leverkusen, and we finally got him in. I thought it was a good fee that we paid at thirty million. And on his yeah, day, yeah, you know, seventy or eighty million euro release clause from Leverkusen yeah, yeah. two seasons before, which was crazy. And you know there were teams that were going for him. I think they were trying to get him to play for England as well at the time, but he didn't uh, switch his nationality. Yeah, you know he's somebody I've, I've got like a lot of hope in, and I, I really wanted I really wanted to work out for him. He's he showed on his day like what a good player he is, and. Just, just that little bit more for him. The only other player, like, you saw Buendia come and change the game last week. I want to see Coutinho start. He's been really good last couple of games. He missed the last one with injury. So, yeah, it's it's just the case of um, the players just gelling and, and starting to, you know, play this Unai Emery style of football and play better than they have been and play for 90 minutes, not for, like, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes. Like, we need to play a full 90 minutes. With For people who don't know Aston Villa's system as well as you, Salem, what's... You know Emery's preferred formation, and where does Philippe Coutinho fit into that? Yeah, so it's a strange formation in the sense that he sets up as a four-four-two, but it's it's a bit weird because the well, it depends. But normally he prefers his right back to sit, so he becomes like a three with the left back sort of bobbing forward as like a left wing back type. Yeah, Alex Moreno, uh, like you explained last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why you know he had one fight. Um, ex-Spurs player playing like right back yep. so he sort of took in and then the four in front the two midfielders are sort of a double pivot so that's the Luis Kamara and then the two on the outside of that you know that's it ends up being Wendy or Bailey or McGinn or Ramsey one of them guys and and they can either like tuck in to become a 10 or they can sort of play wider Um so normally, like the one with the wing back bombing forward tends to tuck in a bit more, and the other one tends to be more of a midfielder that comes into uh, more of a central position. And then he has two up top, of which one tends to be out and out striker, and the other one can be somebody that drops into the 10 or drifts wide, more of a free role. So it's a bit strange. It can be a 4 2 3 1 at times, it could be like a 3 4 3 at times. It, it does mix up quite a lot, but it's something I, I noticed about Emery, like, you know, when he brought the 4 4 2, I was a bit. Confused, thinking like you know, four four two and I am reads. Let's see if it actually is. And then I had done some research, so I did have an idea of how it was going to end up. But yeah, it's been interesting watching. I've never seen someone play a four four two like that before. There was um, clear contrast against Everton. You got you know Dyche that plays more of a traditional, traditional setup, uh, defensive long ball kind of football, and you got Emery that you know he could pretty much get anything out of the players. He, he wants us to have more possession and more comfort in possession. We play out from the back now all the time. Players are still adapting to that and they are going to make mistakes. And the thing is, that I'd rather them do make the mistakes, but then learn from it and not make that mistake again. So, it's, you know, it is like, I, I bet in training, the players are doing it so easily, playing out from the back and there's no issues. But it's hard when you're under pressure, you're goal down, you've made a mistake doing it. But that's it. It happened against Leicester. We messed up and we have to move on. And playing out from the back is something that's not going to go away. And I'm happy that Emery hasn't changed. That's the one thing, like when Pep came in and they finished third or fourth that first season, they were making so many mistakes playing out from the back. I remember losing, they lost to Leicester 3 or 4-0 with Vardy scoring a couple that day of, you know, basic errors. But see, he didn't, he didn't change his style. You know, he stuck to his principles. And I think that's the most important thing. 
Yeah, listeners, if you're listening to this bit, it's not a repeat of last week. Salem said exactly the same thing last week. So he's got that on his spiel, which is absolutely fine. So we do we do remember Pep Guardiola not doing well. Two weeks in a row now, Salem. So I'm all for it. I love seeing Pep Guardiola. It's just the, Guardiola. Just the first thing that comes to mind, isn't it? it, it it's on your script sheet. Yeah, but okay, like, got... let's, 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 put, let's put Pep Guardiola down whilst we can. Well, we've got another down. one. I've got... I mean, we could use Ten Hag as a good example. You know, start of the season, um, he was losing games. But I do remember saying that you need a Playing out the back. Even if he's losing games, you just need to back him. And you could see that his style was coming through. Just the players couldn't execute it. Like, he was coaching 3-0, 4-0 games, like winning winning games. But if the players don't score at the end of it, it's not his fault. So he yeah, was we had one. Ericsson at CDM. Now we have Casemiro yeah. at CDM, which is crazy. I mean, sorry, he's somebody that I said from before, if United game in, he needs a time. Like, you need to accept that you're going to lose a couple of games trying to play the right way. And I feel like the way it's ended up for United, I think you're third now, you've won a trophy as well. The, the turnaround's been remarkable. He's not. He's brought in a couple of players. You know, he has spent some money. There's no hiding the fact. But he's finally got you know Man United, a big club, going again. And a lot of managers have struggled with this. Yeah, it's true. And despite all the money was spent on the previous management as well, it goes to show that um, yeah, there's so much that we can build on with Eric Ten Hag as well. Right. Next game we've got is Brighton versus West Ham. I think Brighton should walk all over West Ham this weekend as well. I'm very disappointed how David Moyes has let his side, which has worked on really, really well in East London, do so well to then just falter down. A lot of his signings haven't turned up properly. Skamaka looks homesick and apparently is homesick for what we've seen. Italian people, Italian footballers don't travel well when they come to England, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw them bottle their lead at Old Trafford as well. 1-0 up and then 3-1 down by full time at the FA Cup and in the FA Cup uh, round of 16. I thought it was embarrassing from David Moyes personally, and I can see why a lot of fans kind of want him to go. They are rummaging around 16th, 17th position at the moment. Brighton are high flying around 8th as well. Salim, what has, what has worked so well for De Zerbi this time around uh, for Brighton as well? Because any other manager could have come in and just gone down from all of Graham Potter's hard work. But what's De Zerbi done um, for you that you think has done really well uh, for Brighton to consistently still be in that top? eight top nine hunt for maybe Europa Conference League or Europa, Europa League as well. I was actually quite surprised when they got De Zerbi in. Um, and I think he drew his first couple of games. I remember he didn't really hit the ground running in the sense that he won a lot. But then they just mm. started with games and got, you know, they sold Trossard, one of their better players again, and they still improved. I just feel like the playing style and how he's, he's getting the most out of his players. Um, Mitoma, the other lad, he's you know he's so he's been quality as well. I I just feel like the way they've been playing, I don't think he's changed too much from Potter. I think that's quite key. Um, he's not. It's just in. built on what is what you had from Graham Potter, which worked really well. But but that's where I I sort of um, you know have praise for the people higher up at Brighton making the the decision to bring in the the right character and bring in the right personality. They've obviously done their research and. Well, they clearly have because of the way they've been replacing players that they've been selling and bringing new players in that have been able to perform. Um, this is what I've know. said all along. The, the appointment of scouting uh, and recruitment people are so right. crucial in, in world football. And it goes to show we've spoken all the time about RB Leipzig, Benfica, Porto's, uh, Sporting Lisbon, Brighton. Uh, we spoke about it with Brentford when Lewis was on a couple of weeks ago as well. goes to show when people recruit in the right areas, not just your players can be replaced, your managers can be replaced as well with the right style of play. And it's a, it's it's really good to see Brighton doing well. I mean, they beat Stoke recently in the FA Cup. I probably should have gone to that game, but I've got I've got deadlines to you, Salem, so I can't be wasting my time going to watch Mitoma assist. I've, I think he assisted Evan Ferguson, who's looking like a real young player. Um, yeah. A good young player, I think. Um, 
for Brighton Hove Albion. Again, another player just coming through out of nowhere um, at Brighton yeah. Hove Albion. You know, they've done they've done really well this season. Brighton is so hard at the moment in that top 10, top 12. There's so many teams that have, you know spent big money, got good managers, good players, and all trying to get top six, top four title it's just so hard the margins are so you know so small as well like you saw Liverpool and Man City dominated the Prem to a point where even if they lost a game or two games they've lost the title that's how bad it was lost it season, by October that's how it used to be once upon a time yeah you know you, lo- you lose a game and you've lost the title but now I feel like because the other teams have improved quite a lot and I feel like they've sort of bridged the gap somewhat to Man City I mean Liverpool's not had a good season so we could count this more of like an anomaly for them but the other clubs have bridged the gap I'd say and they are taking more points off you know the, the teams there in that sense like they've caught up in that sense uh, West Ham were good last week winning 4-0 you know Danny Ings got two I'm I just I'm not sure what it is for David Moyes he's got a really good squad in like like Lucas Paqueta and Lanzini and Ben, ben Rama scoring against Man United as well. Larry um, players that have got have got some attacking talents about them. Jared Bowen coming off the bench as well against Man United, so they've got the depth there as well. I yeah, just think, I just, I just from what I've seen in the media about people going on about Declan Rice, I think it's one of those where if you don't watch West Ham every single week, Salim, you're just kind of assuming he's doing all right, he's doing quite well, but. As I've spoken about him this week in, in the media, uh, Gary Neville, Roy Keane have since the World Cup. And ever since he's come out saying, oh, he, he's looking at being a bit more ambitious as well. That's probably where a lot of heads have dropped in the West Ham dressing room. Oh, we're going to lose Declan Rice at the end of the season. Uh, things may not go so well this season as well. David Moyes is probably like, oh, yeah, we'll probably try and get him to be an 80 million pound player, 100 million pound player um, for us as well. Because that kind of shows the negativity that's going around West Ham at the moment when their captain, their leader, is going, oh, yeah, I want to play Champions League football like a month after the World Cup finishes. And like, oh, yeah, I want to be back in these big occasions and I can't do that at West Ham. The rest of the team are looking around thinking, well, we're here to try and improve ourselves. But if our captain wants to leave, why should we still play to the best of our potential? Which they did over the last couple of seasons. I mean, they're in the Conference League, but last season, Europa League semi-finalists, you and I were talking about them getting into the top six, to the top four as well once upon a time. So we were quite impressed yeah. with David Moyes, but it's just all gone downhill a year after we predicted this as well, Sam. That's what I mean. Like I feel like, you know, that's something Rice should not have done at all. Um, and it's like you said, the heads of Defo dropped around him, you know, potentially in the dressing room and around the club. Like one of your best players coming out and saying something like that is the worst thing that they could say. Like even if he did want to leave, he should have just kept it quiet. Yeah, and end of the season just spoke with his agent and then got the best fee he could for the club I feel like when a player is in that situation it is better to just let go and rebuild I feel like West Ham potentially might need to change Moyes as well get a new manager in Potter probably might be available end of the season and literally just go again in terms of Rice the thing is he's obviously been on international duty and he's made you know Mason Mount Grealish um Reese James, Bukayo Saka. Yeah, and and all the rest of them. And he's obviously seen them and they've told him like Champions League this or they've told him like winning the Champions League was like this or playing, winning the title was like, and he's there playing for West Ham and they've done well, you know, Conference League. They were, t- you know, we were saying they could have got top four, top six and it fell, it fell apart for them, which was unlucky. And it's up to him now and he's, he has to decide, is he going to commit to West Ham or is he going to leave? And when people keep saying they want to leave, they want to leave, they want to leave, then sometimes it, it just ends up better if they just leave that negative. Just cut size, isn't it? That's what you gone. Yeah. And then, and then we can see how good he actually is. We'll see him out. 
another club wherever he ends up. Like, look at Calvin Phillips. He should have just stayed at Leeds looking back at it. What has he played? 16 minutes? He's getting fat shamed by his manager. It's insulting. Yeah, exactly. So I I feel like he wants to leave really badly. Let's see what he does. He's probably going to go Chelsea or somewhere. He's not going to be the main man anymore. And yeah, I, I mean, like maybe he does need to leave West Ham, but is he good enough for one of these big four, big six clubs? Maybe we'll have to find out. And um, it's just a case of waiting and seeing now for Rice. And he's still young. He's still got time on his side. I guess if it is the right move, then it's, it's best he just moves at the end of the season and he doesn't sort of talk about anything until then and just yeah, stays... Just carry on with it, stay professional and humble. You know, he's the captain at the end of the day and as captain, he can't be coming out saying stuff like that. Yeah, it's insulting in a way for West Ham and for West Ham fans as well, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea versus Leeds. We are talking about a team that spent so much money every week, we are going to be laughing at Chelsea because why not laugh at Chelsea? Um, Jay, our previous guest from this week's podcast, is a Chelsea fan, so he definitely went into detail with how well they can do, but it's just about if they can do, if they have the right characters in there as well. But Salim, I just want to talk to you, obviously, about Leeds. Obviously, you've got your uh, Leeds friends. You live near Leeds. Realistically speaking, are they going to survive the drop with their new manager, Javi Garcia? I think they can. They're 17th. They're, two, they're only one point above the relegation zone as well, the Everton loss. So is it going to be an Everton leads to the final day type thing again? What do you think? I think they can. I, I think they can. You know, genuinely, I, I live obviously near Leeds. Like, you know, I work in Leeds. And for me, Leeds, big club. As much as I laugh at my mates that are Leeds fans, you know, we have the banter about Villa and Leeds. I still think they're a massive club. Mm. I feel like they, they should be a Premier League club. Just like Everton, another big club, but you don't get to stay up depending on your size. Uh, I feel like they've made a good appointment there. Somebody that can keep them up. I feel like they can take points off Chelsea. Chelsea just, I can't see where the goals are coming from. And even if they score, I just can't see how they're going to win. They just end up messing up somehow. Um, I always said they signed too many players in such a short space of time, spending all that money. You know, we mentioned Kearney Chukwemeka a few times and like, look at him now. I bet he wishes he was playing under Unai Emery. He would have really developed his career and he made him... himself so much more as a player, let alone as a as a top professional as well. So it goes to show that some of these decisions are just never the right ones. Like he went probably for the money more than anything, I would say. Well, he, he, said, he, he said he went to play first team football, so... I mean, if you're not getting into Aston Villa, you're not getting into Chelsea in any stage at the mo- at this st- at this moment. No disrespect, but it goes to show when you're playing that Chelsea, yeah. you've got someone like um, Hakim Ziyech not, um, coming off the bench, or Pulisic coming off the bench, or Sterling coming off the bench in same positions and similar positions. Barely seen him so far on the Graham Potter, um, which is crazy. But like, I, I look at this Chelsea team and the amount of signings they've made, and I just think to myself, like, they still need more players. Like, I still feel. <laughs> I still feel they could do the centre back. You know, it's they've got Chilwell, they've got Kukurea. That's like over 100 million pound worth of left backs there, and they've got Champions League next week as well. Second leg against Borussia Dortmund. So that's going to be a big, big tie. But, but you know, Chelsea. You never know with them. They could have like the worst Premier League campaign ever and somehow win the Champions League. That's the kind of most Chelsea. Thing. Yeah, that's the most like Chelsea thing that could ever happen. Like they could end up coming 14th in the league, but winning the Champions League and beating pretty much being underdog like every game and just, uh, from now it to... and just crazy to see Chelsea how they yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Potter I feel like he's probably regretting taking the job now um, although he was such a good choice and somebody that I wanted at Villa um, 
Yeah, I, you know what it is? I'm going to go for a surprise, but I'm going to go for a Leeds win. Leeds win. Nicely done at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Wolves versus Tottenham. Quick fire prediction. Do you reckon Spurs, after losing to Sheffield United in the FA Cup? Sorry, Suki. Um, do you reckon they've got anything in them to beat Wolves who lost 2-0 against Liverpool yesterday? What do you think? See, this is something I mentioned last time. Spurs are like the most confusing club I've ever come across in my life. Like, 100%. whenever I see them, they, they pretty much lose every week or like bottle something every week, but they're somehow still fourth, which I've got no idea how this logic works. And you know, it's like a crisis every week at Spurs, but somehow they're still in the Champions League places. So I've no idea how this works. But yeah, again, I feel like they're lacking consistency. I can't see, you know, I just can't see Conte staying, somebody that's serial winner. I feel like he deserves better than what he's got at Spurs. Ooh, that's a shout. Maybe Spurs deserve more than Conte. Maybe. I think it's Daniel Levy, like Suki always says, just Levy out. Got to, got to stay consistent with that. Uh, Leicester versus, or Southampton versus Leicester, I should say, 5.30 on Saturday. What are we saying? Um, Leicester in a bad bit of form, losing to Man United, uh, losing in the FA Cup as well. I'd probably, probably go for a Leicester win. Leicester win against Southampton? Yeah, yeah. That would be a decent one. Uh, Notts Forest versus Everton. What are we saying? Nottingham Forest? Reckon Deitchball will come into play against Nottingham Forest? I think Everton will get the win. Mm. One, it'll be a tight, scrappy, fouls all over the pitch, time-wasting all over the pitch win for Sean Deitch. Yeah, I mean, if Everton win that one, they're out the relegation zone as well. So they'll be up into around 13th, 14th, where Nottingham Forest are now as well, um, which goes to show how well a lot of people will be thinking about Everton by just one or two wins, like we said about Bournemouth earlier in the podcast as well. If a couple wins from the relegation side, they're out. They're back into 14th, 15th, which is great. Uh, the big one of the weekend is Liverpool versus Manchester United. Um, I'll take this one. Liverpool are not as bad as people think this season because they are cons- they are slowly creeping up the table. They are, I think, around 6th or 7th now after winning their game in hand against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And Manchester United never win at Anfield. The last time you won at Anfield, Salim, was back when Louis van Gaal was manager and Wayne Rooney was our captain. So it's been quite a while. Um, to see how Man United have actually won at Anfield because we haven't, which is crazy. But I think even with the form that we are in as well, we are in for a very, very tough test. Liverpool, like I said, only uh, what six points off top four as well. So even with Spurs bottling it, Newcastle two games in hand as well in fourth, they're not that far behind us. As much as everyone wants to get gassed about it, I've always been predominantly cautious about Liverpool Football Club doing bits in this last part of the season because they've got that experience in Jurgen Klopp. They've got the experience in trying to fight for it as well. And you and I both remember in the lockdown season, we thought they were dead and buried in eighth and seventh, but they got back into fourth for mm-hmm. Champions League qualification because they've had that consistency of fighting. And Liverpool do fight quite a bit. And we're seeing that now with Darwin Nunes. We're seeing that now with um, Harvey Elliott. We're seeing it with Carvalho. Uh, Bajatic, their new young player who we've spoken about a, mm-hmm. a bit as well. Fantastic young player that they've got. And, Liverpool have finally got that bite back in them. Not fully, like we've seen before, but they have got the bite about bite back about them. And I reckon, obviously, the Champions League is up for another week or so and when they're back against Real Madrid, but they will prioritise this as like their cup final coming up to that time. They're not in the FA Cup anymore. <laughs> they're obviously not in the League Cup. They're in the Champions League, but three goals down. This will be Liverpool's cup final, playing at home to Manchester United. A very boy at Manchester United who are unbeaten um, for the last six or seven games since we obviously lost to Arsenal. What's your thoughts on the game, Salem? Yeah, you know, I, especially living here in, in West Yorkshire, you know, Batley-Dewsbury, um, the Man United-Liverpool game's always been a massive game. 
Uh, it's like the whole town just stops to watch it, predominantly, you know, with Man United and Liverpool fans everywhere. Crazy. So it's always been a massive game here. And, you know, all over the country, it's one of the biggest games in football, in my opinion. And like you said about Liverpool, it's surprising, but they're 10 points behind you. And if they win, it becomes seven. They're going to be even more pumped up knowing that they're not going to win the title this season. Um, Champions League, they're probably going to, um, they could do it, but it's not looking good there. So I feel like they're going to go all guns blazing. This game's probably the biggest game of the season for them. Yeah, You know, I'd say like even against Man City or Everton, anyone else, it's, it's this game beating Man United. I feel like if they can beat United, they could, you know, sort of put a dent in the confidence that Ten Hag's brought to the club. Some of their players have been performing a lot better. Um, they've got that kid, Bajatic, um, He's he's been he's been okay. Darwin Nunes is starting to come good. Like we said, he always needed time. Nunes, Definitely. they're missing players in like Luis Diaz. He was a really big signing for them um, in terms of impact and and also um, uh, Jota. So it's yeah, Jota be- came back yesterday. So it's, he came back against uh, Wolves. So he was he was in the game. They're missing a, f- a few of their midfielders as well, obviously. So Arturo still hasn't even come back into it as well mm-hmm. for Liverpool. So it's a bit of a bit of a resurgence going on at Liverpool which is which yeah 100% and it's going to be an interesting game Man United look really good you know I've been you know watching a couple of games this season and they've, they have improved in the Ten Hag they're starting to play his football style I'm really looking forward to the, forward to the game on the weekend and hopefully uh, probably watch it with like um, probably watch it with a group for the atmosphere and it's always great being the neutral there as you know it doesn't hurt and you just want to see goals so yeah really looking forward to that one Massive, probably the biggest game in English football, and and yeah, that you know, what more can you ask for? Your score prediction. What is your score prediction for the game? I don't know. I I want to go for United win, two uh, one, but I'll I'll sit on the fence and I'll go two two. I think we're gonna lose, even though this was Ten Hag's first game uh, where we won as as where he won as Manchester United with uh, manager. I think we're gonna lose against this Liverpool team. I think it will be one of those that because we played so many different games in a row, no break, only one proper game of rotation. And even then we had to bring them off the bench, the Casemiro, mm-hmm. the Varans, the Rashfords as well. Liverpool have got a bit more urgency in their step for this game as well. And they'll be at home. They'll have everything to prove. If we beat Liverpool at home in this in this game, I think we're title challengers. I spoke about on another uh, podcast as well shout out Trafford Tunnel I spoke with, um, with uh, you know Mark we met Mark um, yeah, yeah, yeah spoke with him about it as well and Mark says something very similar if we beat Liverpool on Sunday Manchester United the title challenges and it's going to look very very comfortable for the rest of the season for the neutral looking at these three uh, people all teams Arsenal, Man City and Man United all looking for um, for a win as well the Premier League and I think we could slowly and surely be there because that's one of the that is probably the biggest test Man United have for the rest of the season. We've got Chelsea at home, we've got Tottenham away. Uh, I think we've got Newcastle away, but Liverpool away has always been our bugbear, basically. Sam, we never yeah. win at Stamford Bridge and we never win at Anfield. And if we can win at Anfield, that would be a, an amazing feat for Ericsson Hag as well. It would be such a great achievement for him to do uh, with this Manchester United side. So, looking forward to that one. And final game to preview, Salim Brentford versus Fulham, Monday night football. Eight o'clock. Can Brentford and Fulham actually get European football, or do you reckon it's just form at the moment? Because we said we spoke earlier on the pod with Suki, and we were talking about the partnership that Harrison Reed and Paulinho, Jao Paulinho, have made for Fulham, mm-hmm. and that's been a very good, consistent uh, partnership in midfield that's worked so well to get them seventh, drawing on points with Liverpool at the moment, Salah. 
Yeah, yeah, West London derby, interesting. Um, both teams really good this season, like Brighton, surprise packages, playing some good football. F- Fulham, really impressed with them from everyone saying doing a Fulham to, you know, doing a Fulham becoming a good thing now. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go for a draw. I feel like either could sneak their way into a Conference League position, but we are getting to the business end of the season now and, and you know, we just have to see which one can keep up the form and, and now, like, you know, which one can't? Ivan Tony's been mentioned a bit recently, quite a bit. A lot. Interesting to see what happens to him too. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen players get banned for longer, for less mm. than what Ivan Tony's done. So it'll be very difficult to see if he gets away with a, with just a slap on the wrist. If it's a big thing, then we understand how severe they're actually taking betting as well. Um, we've seen it with Daniel Sturridge previously we've seen it with other footballers as well so it goes to show it can happen to anyone in football and no one's above the law in that way regarding uh, betting scams uh, in the Premier League which is crazy right then Salim and right then everyone thank you very much for listening on this part of the podcast do follow Jay on his social media which I'll leave in the description below Salim I will see you next week where I've got a special announcement to announce to you and to everyone on next week's podcast which should be good um, but yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Salim, Salim has always been a pleasure. Take care and see you later.